Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish undertaking. Something evil. It came from Cleveland, and it's not its first rodeo. Not recommended for impressionable children. Well, happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to It Came From Cleveland. Dusting off some of the older taglines for the intro of the show, because... I forgot to do those for tonight. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then I panicked and I said, oh, well, fortunately, all my talented co-hosts recorded a whole bunch. So at about 8.59, I loaded them in. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so welcome uh, to the program, everybody. Of course, uh, welcome, Michelle. Hello. Hello, hello. Miles, hello to you, sir. Indeed. Yes, hello. And Joe, welcome back after a week. I off. am here, sir. Yeah, so we took uh, last week off. Uh, again, I mentioned it last night uh, on uh, Susan and I's show. Uh, the uh, um, uh, we, we lost our good friend John Arthur Kendall last week, and um, we were very, very saddened and heartbroken over that because we had done so much stuff with him over the years and, you know, become really good friends. And, you know, he was on a lot of different shows here, uh, you know, well, on what used to be, you know, Indie Media Weekly. Uh, but, of course, you know, Mike Check Radio, Southern Progressive Revival, you know, he would call in to my old show every once in a while, and uh, we would do cooking specials together. And and I thought, well, we're getting close to Thanksgiving and everything. Let's, and, you know, I think John would appreciate Everybody hearing one of his cooking shows, and you know, Adam dusted off a couple older shows uh, for Mike Check Radio and Southern Progressive Revival to give give a good representation of what our friend John was all about, and uh, he will be sadly missed. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, mid thirties. It, yeah, it's rough. I mean, he was always trying to steal me away from Miles, saying that Miles did not appreciate my love of horror. So <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, that's that's fair. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, but yeah. So we we're we're really gonna miss him. He was a, he was a good dude, and um, you know, uh, never had an unkind word to say about anybody, uh, unless they had it coming. <laughs> but none yes. of us. None of us. <laughs> uh, Felicia Day, I think, had an unkind. Oh word. yeah, he did not like Felicia Day for some reason. And who was the who was, which doctor's uh, companion he didn't like? Billy Piper. Yeah, he didn't like Billy Piper either. Yes. Oh okay. All right. <laughs> We will, we, we will remember that. We'll pour one out for him and curse their names. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so welcome to the show. Um, and, um, it, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about something. And I talked about this again on um, Time for Go to Bed last night. But I want to talk about it uh, uh, more at length because it's, it fits right in with what we talk about on this show. And, of course, uh, don't worry, Michelle. We'll have some uh, awesome birthday action uh, later. We've got two trailer uh, blocks 
Um, I did. Adam's taking a week off from uh, Mythical Moment, so that's fine because we're. I figured. Well, we Kill the Hippies hasn't been heard in a while, so let's put together Kill the Hippies uh, five minute block of music, and so we're all in good shape. Um, and of course, Miles, you're going to be talking about uh, Patton, right? Famous general. Yes. And yes. uh, uh, a known known heavy crier, from what I understand. <laughs> Not kidding. really. Uh, he wrote an advice column for you know uh, people who had the sads. Um, uh-huh, but, uh huh. Yeah, he did. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a general poopy head, but there we go. <laughs> so uh, and uh, Joe, you're going to be talking about a, a film legend tonight, uh, Claude Rains. The Invisible Man, a very versatile man, uh, I would say the yes. the super versatile man. Uh, yes, yeah, le- just an absolute legend. And uh, you found a, a, some really great Richard Chamberlain audio of him talking about uh, his uh, late friend Claude Rains, somebody that he had the privilege of working with. Um, yes. So, uh, but yeah, so. But what I want to talk about tonight, and I'm not exactly sure how much uh, time I'm going to be able to to talk about them, but I have some really interesting stuff about, we have new horror show hosts in Cleveland that Susan and I just discovered like two weeks ago. And And it is so exciting. And Joe, dig this. We watched Sven Gulli at eight o'clock, right? Right. Then we watch um, uh, we watch Star Trek or something else, uh, and then at eleven o'clock we have the big big bad B movie show right here in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, yeah, and let let me get you guys set up with a primer. Here's the uh, this is the show intro uh, from the big bad movie show. Uh, nope, this is the one I think. Uh, yeah. Discovered behind the studio walls, two people trapped for years in a vault of B-movies. They've been driven mad, and now they share their madness with you. Join Leopold and Lenora in The Big Bad B-Movie Show. Yeah, so Leopold, Leopold and Lenora uh, are a, a, a very, very, very funny comic duo. Uh, I will say that they, and I, I have some of their, their sketches uh, for you guys tonight. It's going to be fun. Um, but uh, yeah, they. this is, uh, here's what they look like. Uh, there's a picture. Uh, both fine looking individuals. Um, but they have a show that they host from W uh, WUAB channel 43, the CW or whatever. And the good news is some of you guys might be able to watch it because there is an app for the local news station that you can get through Roku. I don't think you have to have a subscription to cable to get this app. So this is exciting. Um, and they play a lot of great movies. They've done Bride of the Monster. They've done the Robot Monster, which is fun. There's uh, the uh, Little Shop of Horrors, first Rocket on the Moon. Uh, I mean, all kinds of great stuff. They've done a full season, and they actually started um, last year. I didn't realize that we just started watching this show 
because they just had a time change. They were on at 8 o'clock, but I think they were competing with Svengoolie on MeTV, so they were like, well, we'll take 11 o'clock. Now, what's interesting about this is they have... Um, they have uh, had a built-in audience here in Cleveland that unfortunately cannot watch their show anymore because it changed to a later time. Joe, would you like to take a guess as to what local, like mass local audience might not be able to watch them from moving from 8 to 11? Kids? Uh, well, they do have a very strict bedtime. <laughs> they have a very Vampires? strict bedtime. Um, I have a guess. Uh, what's that, Michelle? Prisoners? You're absolutely right. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Prisoners. So, yeah, so this is an interview uh, from uh, the the scene, scene local scene magazine. Um... It's, uh, it uh, comes to us from Vince uh, Gresgrek. Um And uh, yeah, it says uh, the this is from uh, September 8th. That's how recent it was that they flipped the times. Uh, it says the Big Bad Movie B show. Uh, I'm sorry, the Big Bad B Movie shows Laura Wimbles, that's Lenora, celebrates new late night time slot, laments what it means for some of the show's most loyal viewers, prisoners. And um, it, the article goes on to say, Laura Wimbles and Zachariah Durr have a lot of reasons to celebrate the Big Bad B-movie show uh, near as it nears its first anniversary on the air. Uh, for one, the show, a campy horror throwback uh, featuring B-movies, sketches, jokes, and guest stars, not only made it uh, a year, but was picked up for a second season by Channel 43. Uh, that was no minor feat. Born in 2020 in the midst of quarantines and shutdowns to feed pandemic viewing habits with a healthy dose of nostalgia, it was the station's first foray into non-news original scripted programming in three decades. Wow. Three decades, you lazy bums. Um, we asked ourselves, do we do a show repeats or something creative? Eric Schrader, the station's general manager, told the New York Times last year, we went for the creative angle, thank you, because we uh, believe that advertisers are going to be interested in something locally produced that has uh, an original energy. Wimbles and Durr, a producer at, uh, a producer at the station, um, Wimbles and Durr, a producer at the station, had both been longtime fans of the genre and legendary horror fixtures like, uh, of, like Goulardi and Vampira, who entertained fans in the wee hours of the night. Uh, my mom told me when I was five years old, I saw Superhost on the WUAB prize movie show, Dirt Old Scene Magazine, last year. He was dressed like Superman with a red nose and was introducing some rubber suit monster movie. Uh, I turned to my mom and I said, I want that job. I never thought it would actually happen. So, uh, so yeah, so uh, Zachariah Durr, that's uh, uh, Leopold. On the show, and uh, so yeah, so but it, but it comes down to it. Um, they they're actually they send out autographed pictures and stuff now, but um, but uh, but anyway, back to the time change though. That's that's uh, really important. Uh, it says one years one year later that audience uh, has grown out of the uh, one year later. Oh, wait a second, hang on a second. 
Oh, yeah, here it is. De uh, debuting last October with 1959's Attack of the Giant Leeches, a rubber suit monster movie that was filmed in eight days, the Big Bad B movie show introduced Leopold and Lenora, two people who'd been locked in a movie vault at WUAB for years who only had B movies to watch for entertainment uh, to local audiences on Saturday nights at 8, 8 p.m. Um, one year later, that audience has grown. And the show has been renewed and moved to the new 11 o'clock uh, time slot, a more natural home for the program, and one that puts Leopold and Lenora on the air in the same wee hours uh, when their horror icons dazzled audiences. So, hang on one second. My, I got a cough. But, uh, yeah, sorry. Now I turned myself up way too loud. Um... So, uh, but yeah, this is interesting though, right? You guys, this is fun. We've got like a, a real horror show host with playing all the the bad movies, right? Yeah, the, the, yeah. the partner up with Fanguli, definitely. Yes, yes. That is cool. I mean, what a Saturday night for us, you know. Uh, you know, we, we, we get not one, but two, you know, old cheesy horror flicks. I love it. Um, mm. it, you know, if, if one doesn't do it for me on Sven Gulli, maybe they'll make up for it on uh, Big Bad B Movie Show. Um, but, um, uh, when we heard the show was going to move to 11 p.m., it was exciting, Wimbles told Scene. That's a true horror time, uh, true horror show time slot, late night weekends. But there's one downside. A small but core segment of the, uh, their audience won't be able to watch the show any longer. And, um... And they also said they knew early on that they wanted to engage viewers beyond the screen. We wanted to and still uh, want to do an old school fan club, uh, Wimble said. When I was growing up, I loved writing to different little magazines for giveaways and fan clubs uh, for a band I like. You had fan clubs because social media wasn't around. The thrill was getting a twice a year newsletter or a signed headshot in the mail. It was really exciting. They didn't immediately have time to do a newsletter. But they didn't want to sit on the idea, so they made a short video and posted uh, an address and offered a signed headshot to whoever took the time to write an actual letter and send it in the mail. Two months later, the letters started arriving, and they didn't stop. It was surprising and oddly reaffirming that, yes, people are watching, and they're genuinely excited about it, Wimble said. I've always wanted to do nothing more than make people happy, and with the, uh, the show during the pandemic... Uh, you aren't sure whether uh, you're being seen or whether it's resonating. But these people are taking the time to write letters, uh, thanking you for helping them uh, forget what's going on in, in a world for an hour or two. Um, and, uh, and that's something that I, every time I read a letter, I feel appreciative and, uh, appreciative and grateful for. And among the, uh, the letters from hospital workers sending thanks for their taking their minds off the pandemic from people stuck in their homes... Uh, from fans of Goulardi who remembered, uh, or, or I'm sorry, who welcomed a rekindling of their child uh, childhood with a new show, Wembles began noticing just how many came from prisoners. And there's a whole bunch of pictures of them. And it says they're limited to local channels a lot of times, said Wembles, who's in uh, experience with Dr. Megan Novisky at Cleveland State University during a criminology course. She credits with... Uh, uh, with an empathy for what prisoners deal with while being incarcerated. Uh, she says, I remember transcribing audio files uh, from Dr. Novisky's interviews with prisoners who were just released, talking about their time, uh, things that they had to go through, 
situations with the guards. It's a very lonely place. And when I realized prisoners were watching our show, that made me very happy to know that something on TV with the, that was a local program was resonating with them versus whatever else they might have to watch uh, on TV Saturday nights. So, so yeah, so there's a ton of, you know, correspondences and uh, they're, and, and they're sending autographed pictures to everybody who writes them letters too. So I think that that's pretty cool, but that, that is kind of sad. If you think about it, you know, they're limited to local programming, you know, they can't pull up the show on an app or something like that. Um, you know, it's like once the lights out comes, it's lights out, right? Yep. Oh, yep. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. strict. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, Oh, you want to watch the monster movie? Go to bed. Um, you know, uh, so, um, but yeah, so, so to me, I, I, you know, I was like, wow, that, that is in, in, but again, I feel bad for never hearing about it until like three or four weeks ago because Susan like stumbled upon, uh, across an article or a YouTube video or something. And lo and behold, there it is. But the good yeah. news, oh, go ahead, Michelle. I'm just looking at Cleveland 19 News, the cleveland19.com website, and you can mm -hmm. actually watch. It looks like you watch full episodes there. On, nice. Uh, yeah. And there, there should be an app on your Roku if you want to watch it. You know, on your on the big screen on TV, uh, because I added the Roku channel to uh, online. I couldn't find the the channel on uh, my Roku through the search for channels. But then I went to the Roku, I logged into Roku on, on my computer, and I added that channel, and it populated right at the end of all my new, ch uh, all my regular channels. So I guess it's it's a weird workaround. But yeah, so let, let me um, play you that, because they, they made a little video when they announced the new time slot. And uh, this is, this is uh, that. Where are you going? We're moving. What? to a new time. Oh, right. The Big Bad B-Movie Show is moving from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. every Saturday night on CW43. So make that popcorn, put on the jammies with the feeties in them, and watch us late night. And remember, you can watch our show anytime on Roku, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV under the 19 News app. So be sure to join us every Saturday night at 11 p.m. on CW43. There it is. Uh, perfect, perfectly timed 30 second TV spot. <laughs> so just, just abruptly ended. Um, it's so cool. yeah. And, and you know, this makes me so happy. And again, you know, this is something, you know, uh, you, you can watch on demand whenever you want. They are funny too. I'm telling you the con the sketches on here. I like Sven Gulli, but a lot of Sven Gulli's comedy, uh, just makes me groan, you know? Um, but these guys, I had some real LOL moments with uh, with these guys, and and I'll play a a couple of their sketches uh, after the break. But uh, but no, it's 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 just incredible uh, the, what they have been able to accomplish in a short period of time, and their set is really cool. And they, I guess, they pin up all their correspondences in the hallway of their offices or something, and you know, it's just. Uh, you know, again, it's been so long since uh, we've had, uh, you know, well, we had the ghoul and the ghoul was on, see, because we had a weird history and with Goulardi, 
the ghoul, son of ghoul. Like, it's just ridiculous. And and there was an episode that they actually made fun of the idea of, like, oh, everybody wanted to be go- the next Goulardi, and they didn't try and really reinvent the iconic, you know, uh, Goulardi. They, they just kind of wanted to, oh, I'm going to do the same facial hair but wear a crazy wig. Or, oh, I'm going to wear a top hat, you know? I, I You know, so... um. You know, kind of the same with Svenguli, but it, with Svenguli, uh, there was only two guys, and obviously the guy who's Svenguli now, Joe, you've told us about the history before. He, he's been doing it for like 30 years, and the original guy was like, you're Svenguli now, you're not son of Svenguli or whatever. Right. You know, so, but they actually had an episode where they where they kind of played off of that. They, they made a lot of jokes uh, on that, and... They made fun of like the lazy, lazy jokes that we would get from old Cleveland hosts. Like the the this guy, he was like the creep or something like that instead of the ghoul. But it was pretty obvious what they were doing, who they were lampooning, especially to somebody from Cleveland. And uh, the. <laughs> He was like, ah, yeah, just play a Dracula movie, and you can just uh, say, oh, well, that Dracula guy, he's a real pain in the neck. <laughs> uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, and, oh, yeah. And, you know, and that's not what they do. They seem like pretty well-seasoned seasoned, uh, um, uh, actors and comedians um, that, that have a, a good grasp on how to do good funny and like i said i've got a couple couple uh sketches to play after the break but um you know i it just i just said to susan do you know how rich we are (laughs) that we have four hours of late night movie hosts every saturday that is like the coolest saturday night for somebody in their 50s if you ask me (laughs) or anybody yeah yeah, so, you know, well, you know, the younger kids, they like to go clubbing. Oh, the kids. <laughs> <laughs> the kids. Or the, what do they or, know? Or still people my age who think they're, you know, in their 20s. Um, but, uh, but no, I mean, House on a Haunted Hill was one of the movies they did uh, not so long ago. And, you know, what's really, really cool about this is they actually were given an option by the network that they would have to take like X amount of weeks off, like you know, six weeks off with all reruns, or they could do three weeks on one week off with a rerun. And they opted to do three weeks on one week off to offer, you know, a, sp- a better spread of original content and not a big gap. And that's probably smarter for viewership too, you know? Cause yeah, you know, probably. if, if sure. you, you know, if you go off the air for four or six weeks and just play the, you know, you know, six, whatever reruns in a row, um, you know, people aren't going to like that. Well, I guess it, I think it's like, it would be eight weeks off, uh, because yeah. So I think they do three. Yeah. So three a month plus a rerun. So I think that's what the math is. I don't know. But you know, uh, again, they're 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 funny. They're entertaining. The uh, the sets are fun. They have some fun local guest stars on, um, and um, they uh, you know they they've got great costumes. As Michelle has shared, some of the fun costumes there. 
you know, yeah, there's American- some cool dresses and outfits. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. She uh, Lenora has a, a pretty cool mod sensibility. So, uh, but yeah, they're uh, they're they're a, a couple of good looking folks. <laughs> So, uh, I, I will be equal in there. I do have a preference, obviously. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, they are, you know, the, there were a couple sketches on last week where, and, and unfortunately, I think probably because of budgetary constraints, um, they don't have a presence before and after every commercial like Svengoolie does. Um, they, uh, you know, Sometimes it goes straight to the commercial and it comes straight back and goes right into the movie. So they don't have quite the budget of Svengooly to do, you know, all, you know, wrap around, you know, um, um, what, you know, footage. So, um, but yeah, so, all right, well, I'll tell you what, we, we should probably get going to the break right now. Um, and uh, Michelle, yeah. So we've got uh, two trailers, uh, two-year trailers lined up for uh, our first birthday break. Would you care to tell everybody what that is? Is it the first two? Yeah, it's one and two. Okay. We have. Uh, oh, maybe Mr. it's one Ethan. two. It might be what? one two. Uh, hold on, it might be one two and three. Let me take a look again. Go ahead. Okay, no problem. No, we have no. a night. Yeah. We have- we have born in 1970, Ethan Hawke, um, November 6th in Austin, Texas. He was in a little-known horror movie called Sinister. Really, really creepy. I think, um, I don't know if Miles has watched that one with me or not. Doesn't sound familiar. So, um, uh, we have 19, uh, born in 1932, a Mr. Roy Schreider, which a lot of people should know as a sheriff in Jaws. Um, November 10th um, in Orange City, New Jersey. And the third one as well. I think it's just one and two. If it's if it's okay. all three, if it's all three, you can uh, come back and let us know. But no, it, yeah, it's just one and two because uh, the second one is the super long one. So yeah, yeah, Jaws is a bit sense. long. So there we go. But it's fun. It's fun nonetheless. So anyway, all right, let's go ahead and go to the break. And when we come back, I will. Uh, I'll see what you guys think of uh, Leopold and Lenora's. Uh, comedy shticks and you know we'll talk about a few other things too uh but yeah uh coming up birthday trailers we got more birthday trailers down the road and some kill the hippies music uh later as well so hang tight we'll be right back oh yeah and we got some twilight zone we're gonna be talking twilight zone later too oh yeah so all right we'll be right back right after this I didn't want to move here. We couldn't afford to live in the old house anymore. Plus, the new story I'm writing is here. Is the story a good one this time? I'm going to write the best book that anybody's ever read. I got a really good feeling about this. (laughs) You gotta be kidding me. Family hanging out. Barbecue 79. That's the family who lived here. Uh, uh, 
think these are serial murders? I don't know. The first one I found dates back to the 60s. The only link between all these cases is the symbol. The symbol is associated with a pagan deity named Bagul. He consumes the souls of human children. actually lived in the images themselves and that they were gateways into his realm. Children exposed to the images were especially vulnerable to Bagul's abduction. Sweetheart, what are you doing? Painting. I wanted to paint her picture. Who are you talking about? Stephanie. She used to live here. What's happened? Get the kids, pack the car. We have to leave here now. is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil gave him jaws. <laughs> this is Universal's extraordinary motion picture version of Peter Benchley's best-selling novel, Jaws. I just found out that a girl got killed here last week. And you knew it. You knew there was a shark out there. You knew it was dangerous. But you let people go swimming anyway. that most people get attacked by sharks in three feet of water about ten feet from the beach yeah what we are dealing with here is a perfect engine uh an eating machine we're not only going to have to close the beach we're going to have to hire somebody to kill the shark bad fish but i'll catch him and kill him did you hear your father out of the water now this shark swallow you whole ah! you're going to need a bigger boat That's a 20 footer. 25. Three tons of them. Hold it up, he's coming straight for us. Don't screw it up now. Don't wait for me. Now! Shoot! Shot it! 
Jones' fantasies of evil can compare with the reality of Jaws. Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus, Jaws. See it before you go swimming. Ah, the one that started it all. Steven Spielberg unleashed shark killer shark movies on the world and never went back to them. Well, he did uh, yes. have, have a hand in the dinosaur movies, too. So, old Jurassic Park. Did he direct the first Jurassic Park, or was that just a production of his? I don't know. I didn't pay <coughs> no. attention. Eh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, this show's not about Spielberg. Uh, Roy Scheider. Yeah, Roy Scheider was great. Uh, also in 2010, the year we made contact sequel, I believe, which was a great sequel to 2001, A Space Odyssey. Uh, but, you know, there are different camp thoughts, uh, different uh, 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 camps of thought on the matter. Uh, yeah. but I liked them in Blue Thunder. Uh, that was a fun movie. Yeah, I remember that. So, that, that was Airwolf was kind of a rip-off of that on TV. I right? don't doubt it. Yeah. So, that movie was, that was a pretty exciting one. That was a cool helicopter. So, um, and, uh, of course, welcome back, Miles, and, uh, yes, hello. Michelle, and hello, hello. So, yeah, so, uh, you yeah, good, good. Well, you know, I mean, again, Saturdays just got a lot cooler here in Cleveland, so, and hopefully you guys can get the, uh, uh, W, uh, what is it, um, W-O-I-O, um, it's News 19, W O W O I O nineteen news W O I O. Uh, you should be able yeah. to find that app. Yeah, I just added it to my Roku. Hopefully, it'll work. Yep, Beautiful. I already did it. Nice, nice. Okay, great. So yeah, and you can start watching uh, reruns. Uh, they've they've got the full. It, it, I think they're about. If you scroll down, um, I think they're about the fourth or fifth or sixth uh, line of programming. Uh, just on that front page. So uh, check it out because I was I was really excited. Uh, it was a little confusing at first trying to find them because like what's the app? What's the, you know? And then I finally found the the commercial. So all right. So uh, to to test out whether or not you guys think they're funny, uh, I grabbed a couple of their sketches and um, of course they like to do fake products, fake commercials, and stuff like that. And Joe, of course, you have a a deep appreciation for that. That's. Uh, a lot of uh, what do. goes into the clown car, right? Absolutely. And well, you've done a, a few of... yourself, Kenny. I have. I have over the years. And uh, but yes. this one, <laughs> this one is my is I, I, I this one. All of us who do podcasting and and you know run internet radio stations, we can all appreciate this problem that Leopold has once he begins his. Uh, singing career. So uh, let's check this out. Lenora, you know how I always said that it was my dream to record an album of me covering classic songs? Yes, along with your dream to have a major highway interstate named after you and kicking, kicking Matthew, Matthew Broderick, Broderick in, in the, the butt and running, running away. away. Yes, well, those two are still sadly dreams, <laughs> but I just got this in the mail. I've been keeping it a secret, but I recorded my first solo album, and it is about to be released. Got the test pressing right now. No! Uh-huh. Well, I know you said that you wanted to 
emulate your favorite artists like ABBA, Ray Charles, Billy Joel. Yeah, well it turns out that covering those songs costs a lot of money and I rented a recording studio, hired a 20-piece orchestra, got the records pressed, shipping, etc., etc. So, not a lot of money left for song rights. Oh, well you're still gonna do your favorite classic songs, right? Yeah. Oh, actually, I bought one of those uh, TV ad spots, direct marketing style things. Check it out. You know him from introducing movies and from making America laugh. Now experience him as never before. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, my name's Leopold. Happy birthday to you. With Leopold sings the songs of public domain. Here's the dulcet tones of Leopold, bringing you the public domain songs you know and love. Camptown races sing this song. Doo-dah, doo-dah, doo-dah. Camptown races three miles long. All that doo-dah day. Oh! Old MacDonald had a farm. E-I-E-I-O. Anchors away, my boy. You haven't heard songs that were written over a hundred years ago until you've heard them sung by Leopold. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Ba, ba, black sheep, have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, oh H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Now available in one amazing collection on LP, 8-track, or cassette. Relax as the maestro of mirth sweeps you away with songs from around the world. Oh, 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 home the collection that had the plain dealer rave, I can't believe what I'm hearing, and the free times cheer, I just heard Leopold's album, and boy oh boy. Also exclusive to this album are 12 straight minutes of freeform scatting. This magnificent collection is not sold in stores by their request, so we're proud to offer it directly to you. Only $29.95. Call now at 1-800-L-E-O-S-N-G-Z and hear the copyright-free magic in your own home. Oh, royalty-free music. <laughs> Public domain. <laughs> uh, that is hilarious. I thought that was good. The, the scatting, the 12 minutes of freeform scatting was hysterical. Susan <laughs> hates scatting, so when she saw that, she... <laughs> yeah, she's like, hated it. <laughs> but she loves these guys, too. Don't get me wrong. She she was She's a big advocate for them. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, they, they've done that. They have a really funny one where, um, if you're injured in a car called Guar, <laughs> the, 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 the metal band that wears the crazy monster costumes and it's really funny and stupid. So it's like, 
you know, with over a hundred legal hours. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, there's just so much uh, that they do. And they, there was like it, one show they even addressed, uh, um, it was the same one where they were kind of poking fun at like the ghoul and ghoul, you know, uh, Goulardi, the ghoul and son of ghoul and everything is, uh, the guy was kind of a, the, you know, who was playing that spoof was a bit of a misogynist and Lenora kind of put him in his place. So that was nice. So they're, they're really not trying to be lazy in their comedy, which I can appreciate. Is he really tall or is she just really short? I think it's a combo of both. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's, uh, um, but yeah, he's, uh, you know, they're, they're just wonderful. Um, but yeah, I think he might be a little tall and she might be a little short. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and they do like behind the scenes stuff. They're not, they're not those types of people who are like, oh no, I'm, you know, I'll never, I won't be seen out of costume or anything like that. Uh, you know, they're, she's been, she's done some extra work in movies and stuff like that. Nothing major. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, the, he or she, I don't know which one from that article, that was a kind of a poorly written article that I was reading from earlier and I couldn't really tell who they were saying was a producer at the show or at the, sta at the station before this became an idea, but you know, I, I mean, it, it, how, but how sad is that 30 years we've gone 30 years without any kind of scripted local programming that just kind of shows what a, what a cesspool television has become. It's all become format, uh, uh, formula and just really bad reality shows and stuff. It's just awful. Mm. Eh, paid programming, yeah. all that crap, you know. I mean, uh, you know, I, because you know, again, uh, Spanguli was nice, it, it, and it still is nice. I, I'm gonna keep watching it, but it kind of felt like it was lacking. That it felt like it needed to be on later. So now I've got like the pregame, and then you know the game. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. So, and you know, and uh, hey, Star Trek in the middle. Usually, I just leave Star Trek on, and I do eBay stuff and listen. And if there's like a really great moment, I'll get up and walk in the other room and, you know, check it out. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, cause, uh, Susan's like, yeah, I think we've been through both season one and two of Buck Rogers. We can, we can miss out on that. And, uh, I think oh, the, boy. I, I, but am I missing Kolchak when I watch this? I don't know if Kolchak's on at one. Kolchak comes on after... Yeah, after Buck Rogers. Buck Rogers comes on at midnight. Uh, Buck Rogers is on eleven. Eleven. Yeah. Then Kolchak must be midnight. Yeah, which sucks because I'm missing Kolchak, but I have seen all twenty episodes of that, and I own them too. So you know. That always makes it nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. IMD but IMDb has a really good write up on them. Oh, nice. You any tidbits you'd like to throw out? Um, what I'm seeing right now is that Zachariah was the uh, video producer. Okay. And he uh, he roped his friend, acclaimed photographer, and fellow B-movie fan, Laura Wimbles, into it to play Lenora. So there you are. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, they, they signed a contract for a full year. A storage room was converted to a set, and the big bad B-movie show was born. That's so cool. 
And yeah, it uh, is. And, and they they've had a lot of episodes and a lot of great uh you know movies have been featured on on their show. Um you know, and uh let me see if uh IMDB kind of sucks on the movies that they played in season one. Um no, here we go. No, yeah, Attack of the Giant Leeches, Bucket of Blood, The Gorilla, The Day the Sky Exploded. Uh, oh, the boy. De- <laughs> the, Devil, the Devil Bat. There's a great one. Um, that's a Lugosi movie. The Hideous Sun Demon. They had a funny sketch for The Hideous Sun Demon. They did the Hideous Sun Demon Fried Chicken commercial. <laughs> um, Bride of the Monster, Invisible Ghost, Hercules in the Haunted World. Uh, I think Christopher Lee is in that. Uh, the Killer Shrews, The Last Woman on Earth, The Ape, Carnival of Souls, The Robot. They have the Ape and the Gorilla. That's great. Uh, the Robot versus the Aztec Mummy, Devil Girls from Mars, The Last Man on Earth. They got The Last Woman on Earth and The Last Man on Earth. Uh, Phantom Planet, Bride of the Gorilla. They got Bride of the Gorilla and Bride of the Monster. Missile to the Moon. Uh, the boys from Brooklyn, the giant Gila monster, robot monster, the man who could work miracles, one million BC, scared to death, and man in the attic. That's just some of the episodes from uh, the first season, and I do not see episodes for uh, their current season, which sucks. I might have to write them and say, "Do you want me to work on your IMDb page?" <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What. What's cool though is they say that they use um, they use they have uh, internet uh, hosts that come in on they they showed up on their show on Halloween. They also use um, mock as you just said the mock commercials, but they have um, vintage news fitting footage commercials yes. and bumpers from yeah. the old WUAB archives. They they, do. they even had yeah they even had an ancient commercial with Ted Knight. Yeah, I that was really a nice surprise because I was like, oh my god, they've got bumpers like you know, they like the old you know, early. Uh, I guess it wasn't a computer animation or anything like that. It's just you know, big their big logo with the city cityscape in the background, all crackly looking like it's old you know, video. Um, but yeah, that's uh you know that was another thing. Thank you for reminding me of that because they really just kind of pull out all the stops that they can. And it's like, why wouldn't a local uh, television station that's sitting on all this archival stuff, you know, it's like, dude, there's just that content's already paid for itself a million times over, you know, use it. Um, right. And, and so that's, that's too fun. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't wait for you guys to check this out. Um, now, Oh, oh, I do have a, a, a bit of a history lesson on uh, what the building where the studio used to be. Um, well, Lenora uh, found out some information on one of the episodes, and I should uh, I should play that for you. And also, this featured local radio talk show host Alan Cox. Not that big of a fan of his, but um, it was pretty funny. But yeah, so here we go. Let's Let's find out a little bit of history of what the... Uh, actual uh, television studio used to be before it was a TV studio. 
Hello and welcome to the Big Bad B Movie. Welcome to the Big Bad B Movie Show. I'm Leopold and that's Lenora. And we watch movies and you watch us watching movies. Isn't that weird? Isn't that crazy when you think about it? When you really think about it? It's like those drawings of the staircases that go around forever by that guy. You know that guy? You know that guy. He did the drawings of the birds that turned into the fish or whatever. Hey, speaking of one thing turning into another thing, do you want a balloon animal? Do you want a pretty pink poodle? Women love pink poodles. You want a pink poodle? Are you okay? You seem a little bit more manic than normal. I'm doing great. There's nothing I can't do. I'm loving life. Can a guy have a good day? Live, laugh, love. That's what I say when there was one set of footprints he was carrying me. <laughs> I ate the worm. You want that poodle or not? Hey, stay on my good side. <laughs> hey, there we go. A poodle for the lady. Did you inflate and make this just now? Absolutely. My lung capacity is great today. Watch this. <laughs> Does the woman want a pretty hat? <laughs> He's making balloon sculptures. Did you do for... something different today? Did I do something different today? Let's see. No, I just had a wonderful breakfast and a cup of coffee, and I got a good night's sleep, and there's nothing like some exercise. Oh, also I ate a sandwich made from that goop that's oozing out of the pipe on the wall. The pipe? Yeah, that pipe that we uncovered when we moved those mannequins around. There's goop coming out of the, one of the pipes and it makes a dynamite sandwich spread. <laughs> so you're telling me that you ate something out of an old pipe. Well, pardon me, your majesty. We can't all eat off a silver platter. <laughs> Interesting. Huh. So it looks like marshmallow I'm call the building super to see if they know anything about coming it. Coming out of a pipe. Well, it could be stuff. It could be the stuff. You gotta give me one more week to pay up. I got eyes all over me. Hey, Harry, it's Lenora. Oh, hey, uh, Lenora, I was expecting a call. What's going on? Do you know anything about the building history? Like, what it was before it was a TV station? Oh, yeah, sure. This uh, used to be an adult movie theater. <laughs> then she looks at the white stuff on her finger. But, of course, before that, it was a candy factory. Oh. <laughs> Good. I think I found some candy in one of the pipes. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. You know, that stuff was supposed to last through anything. In fact, I, I remember this candy back in the 50s. It was called Hoppers. You remember Hoppers? Uh, they had a, a frog on the label, and they called it Hoppers because uh, they put amphibians in the candy. Can you believe that? Oh, oh, better times. Thanks, Harry. You got it, Lenora. Hey, are we still on for poker tonight? Of course. You know it. Bye. I'll just go to oldcandythatisn'tsoldanymore.com. Ooh, an ad from the 50s for hoppers. Hey, moms. Is your little tadpole running slow after lunchtime at school? Give them that hop they need with hoppers, the sweet, gooey candy that's covered with chocolate that will give them energy all day into the next morning. Yes, Hoppers, the snack that keeps you going and coming back for more. Right, Mr. Hoppers? I'm goofy for Hoppers. <laughs> oh, hey, Lenora, listen, uh, I found one of those Hoppers wrappers. I guess I uh, kept one from a long time ago and I completely misremembered. It was not amphibians, it was amphetamines <laughs> in the candy. Can you believe that? Uh, 
Better times. All right, Harry, where's our money? You want your money, you come and get it! Ah! Hey, Leopold, you might want to lay off of eating anything else from the- ah! He's covered in balloon animals. Leopold! What's up? When's the last time you ate the stuff out of the pipe? The stuff out of the pipe? When was the last time I ate it? Huh, when was the last time I ate it? You know, it's funny you ask me that, because I think the last time I ate that stuff out of the pipe was exactly 24 hours ago. <laughs> well, I'm going to be welding that pipe back shut. But in the meantime, we should probably introduce tonight's movie. Tonight, we have 1960s Little Shop of Horrors, starring Jonathan Hayes, Jackie Joseph, and Jack Nicholson. Enjoy! So there you go. It wasn't amphibians, it was amphetamines. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Well, it's, it's slight so. difference. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it was really funny because he's slinging balloon animals around. Obviously, they had the made off camera, but, you know, they made some squeaky noises. And then he comes back with like a really elaborate hat for her and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's hysterical. Uh, but yeah, so so that's, you know, that's some pretty advanced humor. That's some pretty current humor. I, I like that, you know. And of course, just the idea of making a sandwich out of something that oozed out of a pipe. Oh, dear God. <laughs> No. <laughs> no, you don't do that. No. <laughs> no. The mother of invention. Oh, I guess so. I guess so. So, uh, but yeah, so that's, uh, but yeah, the look on her face when uh, that the character played by Alan Cox says, oh yeah, you should be in adult movie theater. And she's got this white marshmallow fluff on her finger and she just stops and she stares at her finger like, oh God, what have I done? And he's like, <laughs> oh, but it used to be a candy factory too. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so that was, but yeah, so, so it's a little, you know, the humor's, you know, a, a little risque, uh, you know, needless to say, but you know, not at really anybody's expense, which is nice. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so there we go. That's what I recommend for everybody. I want everybody to check it out, uh, with Roku, um, and, uh, let me know what you think. I mean, these guys are really fun. They're, they're really adorable and, um, they, they just, they have won uh, Susan and uh, me over, uh, but and, and again, their comedy sketches are so good. There was one that I, I, I think it was on last week, and it involved them like looking on, um, looking. It, it, it had something to do with the globe. I don't remember exactly because again, it happens late at night, and you know I've already got a head full after the show and doing eBay stuff and whatever. Um, but yeah, they, they, there's one that uses a globe that just had me howling. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah, so there you go. There's something new for everybody to add to your, your playlists, uh, in, uh, this new world we're in, right? Yeah, very cool. I, I'm reading, the more I'm reading this, the more I like, um, they, 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 they say they even, um, do like the educational films. Oh yeah, no, yeah. They they which throw are very in funny. Yeah. little stuff like that when they have time, and you know another thing too, and this was interesting to me, Joe, was uh, they don't have input on what movies they play. Essentially, mm -hmm. what what the station did is they bought a package, and they're like, "This is what you get to play," and I think they even lay it out. They don't let them pick from what they get; they just kind of have to play it all. You know? Oh wow! So. 
And, but there's some good stuff in there. I mean, if you like bet, if you like B movies, you know, I mean, there there are some great B movies. I I you know, again, they have Bride of the Monster. You heard heard me singing the praises of Bride of the Monster a couple shows back. You know, that was uh, yeah, it's not a bad one at all. Yeah, you know, it's low budget, but Bella Lugosi it was his final speaking role in a film. So, uh, and and what in what dialogue he had. So, uh, <laughs> but. But yeah, so um, but there you go. But and, and I guess the moral of the story is, you know, crime doesn't pay, kids. If you want to be able to watch your uh, late night TV, stay out of the clink, out of the slammer, out of the hooskow, the joint, the big house. Got it? Anybody got another one? No, the uh, cooler, uh, no. the cooler, no, the cooler's the cool. one, right? Cooler. Yeah. I'm just yeah. trying to. I'm just trying to think of all the all the euphemisms for prison. <laughs> slammer, the slammer, the slammer, yeah, the Locked slammer, up. yeah. So the pokey. There you go. The pokey. The yeah. pokey. Yeah. Yes. So, um, but uh, anyway, all right. Well, I'll tell you what. We're gonna go ahead and run to the break, and when we come back, we're gonna hear uh, about uh, uh, Joe's gonna talk to us a little bit about Claude Rain, somebody that we're we're no stranger to on this program. Um, no. and, um, yeah, so let me see, uh, oh, well, that's, we're not going to do that. Uh, sorry, I'm clearing out some Halloween stuff. <laughs> it's sad, sadly, as, as, as sad as that is. Um, but yeah, so, okay, we're going to go ahead and hit the break. And when we come back, Joe will talk to us about one and only Claude Rains, uh, Hollywood legend. So hang tight. We'll be right back. And yeah, don't forget, check out the uh, News 19 WUAB or uh, WOIO app, I believe. I'm so confused because they're on WUAB and WOIO is like the news channel. I don't know. But uh, yeah, find the News 19 app and watch Leopold and Lenora on the Big Bad Movie Show. Uh, right here from Cleveland, Ohio. Big Bad B movie show. Anyway, we'll be right back after this. I'll show you who I am and what I am. in three minutes.
show starts in two minutes. Show starts in one minute. Bad-tempered rodent you ever set eyes on. Not recommended for impressionable children. Oh, remember those? All right, welcome back to. Uh, do we know what show number this is? Twenty-eight. Sounds right. So look at that. We're on track to have about forty-five shows a year. <laughs> so, uh, it's not shabby, not shabby. It's quality, not quantity, right? And uh, welcome back, of course, uh, Miles. Hello, sir. Yes, yes, hello. And uh, have you have you looked at any pictures of Lenora by chance? I have, yes. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, she she seems short, uh, nice, pretty lady, well endowed. Is that inappropriate? Let's say it's not. Uh, I, I I was I I was uh removed my headphones for a second. I didn't hear what you said. Um, of course and, not. And of course, I didn't say anything. Michelle, uh, welcome back to you as well. 
Oh, thank you, thank you. And I'd like to wish Francie and her husband, Michael, a happy 33 years of marriage today. Oh, happy anniversary to you crazy kids. And, uh, and hey, uh, you know, a big, tall, uh, um, uh, of course, uh, Leopold, uh, he's, he's a pretty good looking dude, too. Very much so. He reminds so, me of somebody else I know. Well, there you go. So uh, next year's Halloween costumes. Um, <laughs> so and uh, last but not least, uh, Mr. Joe Santorsa also heard on the Tim Coromel show. Uh, and uh, you've got a a, a, a a member of Hollywood royalty you'd like to talk about. I do. I do. And um, well, let's just get right into it. Okay. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> we are talking about the one and only William Claude Rains, born oh. on 10 November 1889 in Claflam, London. So, he lived in the slums, mm -hmm. and in his words, he was on the wrong side of the River Thames. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was one of 12 children. Here's the kicker. All but three of them died of malnutrition. Yikes. Oh, wow. When they were still in inf infants. Now Yeah. It was a rough upbringing with Claude. Uh, his mother took in boarders in order to support the family. And according to Claude's daughter, Jessica, he grew up with a very serious Cockney accent. And if you know Cockney accents, they can be ununderstandable. They're unforgiving, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and on top of that, he had a speech impediment, which took the form of stuttering. Oh, okay. Ooh. Yes, causing him to call himself, when he was small, Willie Waynes. Mm. His accent was so strong that his daughter could not understand a word he said when he used it to sing old Cockney songs to her and purposely used it to to annoy her. <laughs> <laughs> so he had a sense of humor. Uh, sure, sure. Now, his father was an actor, and that's where young Claude uh, spent a lot of time in the theaters, surrounded by actors and stagehands and the like. And he slowly worked his way up in the theater, becoming first a call boy. Uh, you know, they call the people when they're due on stage. Uh, he also was a prompter, a stage manager, an understudy, and then he moved from smaller parts to bigger parts because he got great reviews. Yeah. Um, he moved to America in 1913, owing to the opportunities that were being offered in the New York theaters. However, at the outbreak of World War I, he went back to the UK and joined the London Scottish Regiment. Miles, oh, you'd wow. love that, right? That does sound, uh, yeah, yeah. I love me some bagpipe music, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and in November of 1916, and this is another one for Miles, Reigns was involved in a gas attack at Vimy, the Battle of Vimy, which Whoa. resulted in him permanently losing 90% of his vision in his right eye. Yikes. Yes, and he also had vocal cord damage in addition. No doubt. In fact, I had a great uncle who was uh, gassed, and uh, he's long gone now. But, uh, 
in World War One. So that was quite a horrible thing back then. That's oh, yeah. what, yeah, that's why they had the Geneva Convention. War was Absol- that rough. Yes. Uh, upon his return, Sir Herbert Beerbaum Tree, Beerbaum, told Claude Rains, Beerbaum, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Tree. Uh, he sort of mentored Rains, and he told him that in order to succeed as an actor, he would have to get rid of his Cockney accent and speech impediments. And so, Tree actually paid for elocution books and lessons for Rains. Oh wow! And helped him change his voice to the voice we all know. And he eventually, with a lot of work, shed his accent and speech impediment, uh, practiced tirelessly every day. And he was then offered a screen test with Universal Pictures in 1932. We all know Universal, don't we? Oh, yeah. And his screen test, uh, he took a screen test for a film called A Bill of Divorcement. for a New York representative of RKO, you know RKO too of uh, sure of uh, King Kong fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if he he bombed out on that on that uh, screen test, but it led to his being cast in one of his most famous title roles, The Invisible Man. That's right. Because his screen test was overheard. And his unique voice was overheard in the next room, and his agent uh, was a friend of Carl Lamel, who controlled Universal Pictures at the time. I think we talked about him briefly. Possibly. And, Sounds familiar. Or, or Svengoli did, <laughs> one or the other. Yeah, exactly. And he had, acquaint- he had been acquainted with Reigns in London and was really wanted to cast him in the role. Of the Invisible Man, because of that booming, gravelly yet honey-like voice he had, and just—I mean, this would be a great time to play clip two in one of those scenes from The Invisible Man. Yeah, what's all this? Keep back there! Keep back, me! Do you know who you're talking to? I give you a last chance to leave me alone. Give me a last chance. You've committed assault. This when you've done. And you can come along to the station with me. Come along now, come quietly. Unless you want me to put the handcuffs on. Stop where you are. You don't know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing, all right. Come on. Get hold of him. Lock him up. All right, you fools. You've brought it on yourselves. Everything would have come right if you'd only left me alone. You've driven me near madness with your peering through the keyholes and gaping through the curtains. And now you'll suffer for it. You're crazy to know who I am, aren't you? All right, I'll show you. There's a souvenir for you. And one for you. I'll show you who I am and what I am. Look, he's all eaten away. He's all eaten uh, away. How do you like that, eh? <laughs> Brilliant performance. Oh, what a laugh. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. That gives, you, that gives me the willies even listening. To. 
Oh yeah, definitely. So <laughs> yeah, he was. So he, I guess he got over that speech impediment and that Cockney accent, didn't he? Uh, I would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He let the copper have the uh, coffee. Hey, look, he's eating all away. Yes. <laughs> Why? Uh, stop me? You know who you're talking to? Look here, okay. governor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, he finally signed a long-term contract with Warner Brothers on the 27th of November in 1935. Uh, and they had the right to, to loan him out to other studios. Uh, and gave him a potential income of up to, this was good in those days, $750,000 over seven years. Wow. Yeah, he played uh, the villainous role of Prince John in The Adventures of Robin Hood. And mm -hmm. Roddy McDowell, uh, Michelle, you like this. Roddy McDowell once asked Claude Rains if he intentionally lampooned Betty Davis when he was performing as Prince John. And he said, Reigns only smiled an enigmatic smile. Yeah, he played her. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, that's yeah. kind of cool. Um, yeah. He, mm -hmm. $100,000 base in, uh, per year back then is, is equal to $1.6 million now. So that would mean that he made like well over... Maybe ten million dollars. Yeah, if he made the max. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, over seven years with Warner Brothers. His most notable movie roles, I guess, was uh, I'll just go through a few of them. The Invisible Man, nineteen thirty-three. He played Doctor Jack Griffin, um, who was the Invisible. Uh, the Adventures of Robin Hood again. Just the aforementioned Prince John. Uh, how about this one? Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Oh, 39. Wow. He played Senator Joseph Harrison Payne. Uh, the Wolfman, Michelle. 1941. Yeah. Played Sir John Talbot. Uh, the Phantom of the Opera. He was the Phantom. He played in Caesar and Cleopatra. He played Julius Caesar. Uh, he was in... Hitchcock's Torius, another great film. Uh, one of my favorites, Judgment at Nuremberg, 1959. He played Judge Haywood. Nice. And in, in The Greatest Story Ever Told, in 1965, he played the awful, awful Herod the Great. Ah. Yes. That is, that is range. That is range, my friend. Oh, you're telling me. And, and and he had a good comic flair, too. Mm -hmm. But my favorite, and, and it showed a lot in my, my favorite movie of, of his, uh, Next to the Invisible Man, was Casablanca, in which he played Captain Louis Arenal. And the next clip we're going to play is... The famous uh, shocked, shocked <laughs> line. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it occurs right after, um, right after, if you remember, I don't know if you remember the scene. In Rick's Cafe American, where they all were assembled, there was a group of German soldiers. And, and Miles, you, you know, this was the Vichy government. You know, 
the uh, the puppet government of, of uh, France. Oh, okay. So, uh, in 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 Rick's Cafe American, there was a group of French patriots and a group of German overlords, and while the French patriots were sitting there, the the overlords were singing German war songs and and hail to the Reichstag and all this stuff. So enter Victor Laszlo, who is the star of this this scene. He was the head of the French resistance and 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 uh, and married to uh, Ingrid Bergman. And so they start singing the Marseille, the French anthem to counter the German singing. And the German general gets very angry and goes up to Captain Louis Renault and play clip three. You see what I mean? If Laszlo's presence in a cafe can inspire this unfortunate demonstration, what more will his presence in Casablanca bring on? I advise that this place be shut up at once. But everybody's having such a good time. Yes, much too good a time. The place is to be closed. But I've no excuse to close it. Find one. Everybody is to leave here immediately. This cafe is closed until further notice. Clear the room at once. How can he close me up? On what ground? I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. <laughs> You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. Everybody out at once. <laughs> no, I don't know if you heard in that clip, but just as he's saying... I'm shocked, shocked to hear that there's gambling going on in this establishment. <laughs> One of Rick's employees goes up and goes, oh, Captain Rene, here are your wings. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Very iconic. <laughs> very, very funny. Um, well, the movie goes on. If anybody who knows Casablanca knows that it rekindles a love affair he had with the now uh, wife of uh, Victor Laszlo, uh, she begs Rick to get them letters of transit, which were necessary to get out of Vichy, uh, France, or or any any Vichy uh, protectorate of France, which Casablanca was. So he, Rick arranges to get Laszlo and Ilsa out safely away from the Nazis, and in the final scene. Of Casablanca, which there were many different shoots on this part. Mm-hmm. In the final scene, several things happen. Uh, Colonel Strausser, the head of the Germans military there, comes up and sees Rick and, and Captain Renault sitting, saying, "What's going on? What's going on?" And and what? And that plane, he said, Victor Laszlo is leaving, and he said, "Stop that plane." Stop that plane, you know. And uh, so he goes to get a, a payphone, and Rick threatens to shoot him. And uh, of course, Strausser doesn't believe he'd do it. Um, also, in the scene afterwards, you will you will hear uh, Captain Renault say to to Rick, he opens a bottle of <laughs> what is called Vichy water. And then he decides to throw it away and kick it <laughs> because the Vichy government was hated by the French. 
Patriots. And um, this is where Rick uh, is offered by Captain Rick the offer getting out himself and going to safe. So that's clip four. what I mean? If Laszlo's presence in a cafe can inspire this unfortunate demonstration, what more will his presence in Casablanca bring on? I advise that this place be shut up at once. But everybody's having such a good time. Yes, much too good a time. The place is to be closed. But I've no excuse to close it. Find one. I've been playing the wrong one. I'm sorry. The wrong clip. Yes. Sorry. Clip, sorry. Clip you yeah. What was the meaning of that phone call? Victor Laszlo is on that plane. Why do you stand here? Why don't you stop him? Ask Monsieur Rick. Get away from that phone. I would advise you not to interfere. I was willing to shoot Captain Rhino and I'm willing to shoot you. Hello. Put that phone down. Get me the radio tower. Put it down. has been shot. Round up the usual suspects. a sentimentalist but you've become a patriot i believe it seemed like a good time to start i think perhaps you're right Good idea for you to disappear from Casablanca for a while. There's a free French garrison over at Brazzaville. I could be induced to arrange a passage. My letter of transit? I could use a trip. But it doesn't make any difference about our bet. You still owe me 10,000 francs. And that 10,000 francs should pay our expenses. Our expenses? Mm-hmm. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> Very cool. And you hear the Marseille being played in the background there. So, um, yeah, some iconic. And extra credit to anybody who can identify in that clip the name of a 1995 famous movie with Kevin Spacey and Chaz Perry. Mm. In that clip, someone mentions what became the name of a movie. 1995, Chaz Perry and Kevin Spacey. Uh, I'll go on and then we'll get the to usual that later. suspects. But, uh, the usual suspects. There you go. Very good. Extra credit for you. Round up the usual suspects. Round up the usual suspects. And they use that line for that 95, 95 movie. Well, there you go. Well, anyway, eventually Claude Rains became a naturalized citizen in 1939. And he, I love this, he, he bought a 30, 380 acre stock range farm 
built in 1747, and guess where? In West Bradford Township, Pennsylvania, just outside of Coatesville, not far from me, just a couple hours. Nice. And the farm became one of the great prides of his life, and uh, he became, like Green Acres, a gentleman farmer. But unfortunately, yeah, and unfortunately, Claude was also a crime holic, and he died of cirrhosis of the liver on May 30th, 1967, at the age of 77. He died actually from an abdominal hemorrhage. That's um, a pretty good run still. But, yes, pretty good run, but I think we have time now, and it's a pretty long clip, but I saved it for last, because this is actually fitting re- remembrance that Richard Chamberlain gave on Turner Classic Movies when they were, soon after he died, remembering Richard Chamberlain's memory memory of Claude Rains, who starred in a movie with him and turned out to be his last movie. Clip one. Claude Rains has to be considered one of the finest actors of the 20th century. His name may be unfamiliar to some today, but as soon as you hear that voice, that marvelous, unmistakable voice of honey mixed with gravel, he becomes instantly recognizable. I have wandered in many lands, seeking the lost region from which my birth into this world exiled me, and the company of creatures such as I myself. I found flocks and pastures, men and cities, but no other Caesar. And that scornful right eyebrow, which could freeze an adversary faster and more effectively than any physical threat. He stood at a mere five foot six, yet his enormous talent and immense stage presence made him a giant among his colleagues. During a stage and film career that spanned six decades, Reigns encompassed some of the most memorable and exciting characters ever created by an actor. Villains were a Reigns specialty, particularly those of a suave and sarcastic nature. If I wished to obliterate such a rival as your talented but highly neurotic husband, I should employ simpler measures. I would raise his unstable mind to the highest pinnacles. I might allow my to do that, and then strike him down with unlovelier but more appropriate weapons. And yet, when the role called for it, Reigns could be remarkably moving and even add a touch of pathos without losing any of his effectiveness. Take his Oscar-nominated role in Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious. Here he's playing a Nazi conspirator who discovers his wife is an American agent. Watching him, you feel the character's sense of panic, fear and desperation. And you almost sympathize with a character even as loathsome as this. That's the sign of a brilliant actor, knowing how to grab an audience's empathy without them realizing it. And he could slip into sympathetic parts with ease. One of my favorites is Mr. Skeffington, where Claude plays a loving yet neglected husband of Betty Davis's vain socialite. After years of emotional abuse and wartime separation, Skeffington and his now aged wife are reunited. It's a performance so sensitive and so believable that it brought tears to my eyes even watching as a kid. Early in my career, I had the good fortune to work with Claude in what would be his final film role. The movie was Twilight of Honor. In it, I played a young attorney assigned to defend an accused murderer. Claude had the role of a retired lawyer acting as my mentor. 
He was in his 70s then and in failing health. Yet he was charming and totally professional on the set. It was clear to us that he loved practicing his craft. He dazzled us all. Claude was an extremely private man. He never discussed his humble beginnings, his six marriages, or any of that. But get him into a conversation about acting, and he opened up with delightful anecdotes and fascinating stories about his long life as a fan. One day on the set, I mentioned to him that Notorious is one of my favorite films, and Claude related with amusement the filming of a particular scene with Ingrid Bergman. Bergman steals Claude's wine cellar key from his chain just as he enters their bedroom. He approaches her and they begin to embrace and kiss, and she's hiding the key in the palm of one hand and then the other. Now, Reigns was a very short man, and Bergman was quite tall. So in order to shoot them in close-up together, the resourceful Alfred Hitchcock had a ramp installed. So as Reigns approaches Bergman, on camera he appears taller than his co-star. Claude found this ramp business a bit embarrassing and very funny. <laughs> I got another taste of Claude's witty nature, shooting a scene in our film in which he had a long piece of dialogue. Generally, he had no problems remembering his lines, despite getting along in years. However, there was one particularly long scene shot late at night, where he was having a lot of trouble with the dialogue. Now, the prosecutor, special prosecutor, if you please, is going to use every trick in the book to put Ben Brown in the gas chamber, just as you're going to use every legal trick to keep him out. And, and he kept making excuses. Well, the lines aren't this, and the blocking isn't that, and mm, people are walking behind the camera, etc. And finally he paused and with a sheepish look said, oh, Alibi Ike. Good old Alibi Ike. Of course, in the finished film, he played the scene flawlessly, as he always did. I cherish the experience of working with Claude Rains. And all of us can cherish the many, many brilliant performances he left us on film. Claude Rains, truly a class act on and off screen. As always, you are generous to a fault. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Yes. So. Claude Rains, folks. There it is. A classic. A classic. Cool. And yeah. I actually do remember the Robin Hood movie, too. It's one of my favorites back, oh, from yeah. back then. Yep. Yeah, so Mine so too. yeah, so many iconic things, and you know, sadly, you know, it's easy to forget how how much of a presence he actually was. Um, it, but, he did a couple sci-fi movies too. Yeah, I don't. Uh, off the, I'm gonna have to look into him. I want to see, you know, I want to see all this stuff again. So, or for the first time, in some cases. Um, but yeah, okay. so we we do have to get going to the break. So Miles has enough time for uh, his segment. So. Uh, but thank you, Joe, for that. That was uh, very informative, and uh, it, as always, that was that was a lot of fun. So thank uh, you. we are gonna go ahead and uh, jump straight into some "Kill the Hippies" music right now, and come back, and Miles will tell us all about uh, a fella named Patton who has a birthday. Mike Patton, the singer from Faith No More. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, check out Kill the Hippies. Oh, I, we'll be, we'll, I thought it was Patton Oswalt. <laughs> oh, yeah, Patton Oswalt. We'll be right back. Thank you very much for coming oh, to that's our... the wrong gosh darn one here.
All right, there we go. Welcome back to the show, everybody. That was from Kill the Hippies. Uh, focus on the family, Fernando and Burning Ships. Uh, Very nice. All great songs. And, um, yeah, so welcome back, Michelle. Uh, looking forward to hearing a little bit about Bram Stoker adaptations tonight. Very excited. Oh, yes, that's going to be cool because there's there are some that people don't realize were Bram Stoker, which is really yeah. cool. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people realize, you know, I mean, I think his fame for Dracula, much like Bela Lugosi was overshadowed for his fame for Dracula, uh, you know, often got ignored for some of his other great works. Yep. Um, and, uh, of course, Joe, uh, welcome back to you, and thank you for the cool uh, Claude Rains uh, info. Very, very groovy stuff. It was fun. It was yeah. fun to do. Absolutely. And uh, last but not least, Miles, welcome back. And uh, you're going to celebrate a, a war-related birthday today. Yes. Well, about an individual that is very yeah. well-known for his war uh, activities. Strategery uh, and whatnot. Yes, his very strategery-ish. So yeah. the uh, <laughs> George S. Patton Jr., uh, named after his father, obviously, uh, possibly, um, I, I'd say uh, one of the most well-known uh, generals in the, the uh, history of the American military. Yeah. Um, Well-regarded um, uh, by his uh, peers and his adversaries. Um, uh, Stalin is said to have complimented him. The Germans outright feared him. Oh, I'm sure they did. Um, so I'll touch on that. Now, normally, um, when I talk about people, I, I start, you know, about their background and their accomplishments and then wind up with how they die. But for this individual, I'm going to go backwards. So I'm going to start off with how he died. Okay. And then I'll work backwards and if i just run out of time oh well <laughs> won't get to the uh that 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 part of it so how Patton died the uh war uh in europe had pretty much come to an end on uh e-day ev i don't know i apologize for not knowing the exact time but anyway Germany surrenders, right? But the war in the Pacific was still going on. Japan does not surrender until, you know, uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, which happens in August. And so um, here's Patton in a war theater that has effectively gone to peace. And he was assigned as a uh, military governor of Bavaria which is the largest of the German states. There's like 12 states of Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, when it was split up, Bavaria is the largest, uh, you know, uh, where, uh, like BMW is built, Bavarian Motor Works. Anyway, he was in charge of the denazification in Bavaria. So his third army was, you know, basically position, you know, positioned there. And that's what he was doing. Obviously, mind-numbing work, just going around stripping stuff off of buildings. and oh, Yeah, so he hated it. And he begged to be taken and given command over in the Pacific Theater. He wanted to go back into battle. 
mm-hmm. uh, it did not work out. Uh, they pretty much just said no. Um, anyway, so he's miserable. And then, of course, uh, war ends in August, as it does. And so here he is stuck doing this job he hates. And uh, his chief of staff was the Major General Hobart Gay. Invites him to go on a pheasant hunting trip to raise his spirits. Okay. And on December 9th. Now, um, he... Patton is so miserable that on December 10th, he's scheduled to head back to the United States where he's just going to get a desk job or a tire or just, you know, that's it. He's done with, uh, with Europe. So here he is on December 9th driving with um, uh, Major General Gay and some other individuals. And they are passing by. There are some uh, derelict vehicles that are still on the side of the road from the war and they have not yet been, you know, claimed or reclaimed or hauled off or what have you. Mm-hmm. Patton is uh, quoted as saying, you know, how awful war is. Think of the waste. And then shortly after that, his, the vehicle he is in collides with an American army truck at low speed. Um, the other uh, military personnel with him were only slightly injured. But Patton hit his head on the glass partition in the back seat. And he was bleeding, and he was complaining that he was uh, uh, paralyzed. So they took him to the hospital, and that's where they find out he has a uh, compression fracture of the third and fourth vertebrate. Oh, Jesus. Um, he's got a, he's got a, basically a broken neck, and he is paralyzed from the neck down, effectively a quadriplegic. And for the next day, uh, twelve days, he is, he spends them in spinal traction to decrease the pressure on his spine. And uh, basically, all med- uh, non-medical visitors are banned except his wife. And um, <laughs> he is told that he will never again be able to ride a horse or have a normal life. And um, it is attributed that he at one point commented. This is a hell of a way to die. And uh, he died in his sleep of uh, pulmonary edema and a congestive heart failure at 6 p.m. on December 21st at the age wow. of 60. Yeah. So that's how uh, Patton left. Um, one day before he was supposed to leave, getting into a, a, a low <laughs> a low speed vehicle impact. I mean, that just, after, uh, after everything he saw. For right him to go that way that's uh you know knowing kind of what kind of guy he was too he probably probably lost the will to live it uh probably uh yeah it, it's it's not not surprising so as well regarded as he was by his peers the man had extreme personality problems i mean the guy was well known to be an asshole um and uh, he'd suffered head injuries uh, in his youth, and in 1936, like a, a polo uh, thing. And so this is kind of attributed to his, you know, how um, the NFL head uh, protection 
thing yeah. that has been in the news, right? You know, because people people get more violent when they suffer head injuries. So it's attributed that, uh, yeah, very likely that Patton suffered from that kind of stuff from his multiple head injuries over the course of his career. Wow. All right. So uh, backing things up to the Battle of the Bulge. So now we are full on into World War II. And he is uh, leading the Third Army, um, fighting the Germans. And the his army is doing well right up into the point at which it runs out of fuel. <laughs> Gas is what moves his tanks. And so he is pretty much stuck. And a lot of resources are being directed towards Montgomery because uh, Eisenhower... Uh, it's it's a big political foobar. Patton is livid at not being able to really, you know, function. So he's kind of just stuck as his army is really unable to move effectively with what limited resources they're giving him. And the Germans um, mount up a offensive, the last offensive they ever mount, and it is more more commonly known as the Battle of the Bulge. This is where the Germans are pressing and pushing to try and uh, you know, push the Allies into a situation where you know they negotiate for peace or what have you. It uh, it fails anyway. So the Battle of the Bulge is happening, and the uh, American forces are under siege, and they need to be uh, relieved. I think it's Bastogne. Yes, uh, the 101st Airborne. It's trapped in Bestel. And the, uh, Eisenhower, they're at a big meeting, and uh, Eisenhower's there, Bradley, uh, Patton, and a number of other individuals. And Eisenhower is asking Patton, like, uh, hey, uh, you know, how soon can you, uh, you know, get, so, get some, like, three divisions together to go and uh, relieve the 101st up in Bestel? And Patton's reply was basically, uh, as soon as you're through with me, <laughs> which Eisenhower was, didn't take him at his word. He was just like, he found it just like, what? No, no freaking way. But what Eisenhower didn't know was that Patton had already talked to his underlings, to the his people in his command, and told them to come up with battle plans to disengage elements of the third army from battle so that they could press north and uh, go and, and, and perform the uh, relief of 101st and Bastogne. And so basically Eisenhower called him on it and just said, you know, Hey, no, that's not, uh, you know, I, I, Oh, here's the quote from Eisenhower. Don't be fatuous, George. If you try to go that early, you won't have all three divisions ready and you'll go piecemeal. And so, uh, you know, Patton just explained the situation like, no, I've already made preparations. And Eisenhower was still unconvinced and he told Patton to attack on the morning of December 22nd using at least three divisions. So Patton leaves the conference. He calls his underlings, his command, and he says the two words, play ball. And that is the code phrase he had for them to say, you know, get things in motion. We are mm -hmm. going. And so Patton uh, 
succeeds in, in, in bringing not three, not four, not five, but six divisions of the Third Army up through, and he blasts through the uh, German forces and, and, and reaches the 101st to uh, get them supplies and re-get re the connection to, to end the siege of Baston. And he is, uh, it is really a, a, a remarkable achievement of, uh, of, of Patton's just really uh, military prowess. There are things he did that didn't work out. Uh, there was one incident uh, I'm going to uh, briefly touch on where he sent, um, I'm, I don't know the number of people, I think it was 300 people, and you know, vehicles and what have you, to blast through so the German lines to go uh, liberate a prisoner camp. Yeah. And the, the 300 succeed. They, they get to the prisoner camp, but they didn't have the support, and they wind up joining the prisoners at the prisoner camp. So that's a, that's, that's a bad thing you know, that, that, uh, that Patton attempted. And the reason that Patton did this was because his son-in-law was trapped in that prisoner camp. So it, it shows that Patton also had a, a human element. You know, he was he made he made uh, a bad decision basically based on emotion, mm -hmm. uh, if you will. But anyway, so back uh, back to the Battle of Bulge. So um, they defeat the the, the Germans, and, uh, and 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 so that that accomplishment is uh, great. And then of course Germany is ultimately defeated. There are other battles, but. I'm going to go back in time a little more. So Patton was not involved in the Normandy invasion. Other generals were involved in that because it was believed that, uh, oh, I'm sorry. That's a, Michelle's has reminded me I'm, I'm not used to having clips. <laughs> I, I have true. clips to say. So uh, did, did, did you get them? Yeah. Cool, cool. Uh, so there's one where um, Patton is talking. This is after the war, and this is his real voice. And so, um, yeah, let's play the clip. I don't know which whether it's the first Patton or second. Speech. This is Patton's speech. Yes, that one. All right, here you go. You must remember this. That from Brest... To various towns in southern Germany and Austria, whose names I can't pronounce, but whose, whose places I have removed. <laughs> the trail of the Third Army and the 19th Tactical Air Command and the 8th Air Force is marked by more than 40,000 white crosses, 40,000 dead Americans. There, there you go. Whoops, oh, thank you. So Patton had a nickname of uh, Old Blood and Guts, and I, I do need to mention this. It's because they thought it was uh, because that... Um, Patton was such a hard taskmaster 
of a military commander that he suffered many losses under his command. Mm -hmm. And it was actually not true. That's a myth. Okay. Um, the old the old blood and guts comes from um, Patton himself when he gave a speech and used the term or something like, "I want you wading through the blood and guts of the enemy" or something of that nature. Yeah. So, because of Patton's fighting style, where he is constantly attacking the enemy and pressing and never giving the enemy a chance to settle down, to regroup, to reinforce. They are constantly being pushed that had the effect of causing him to have one of the lowest casualty rates of military commanders. Interesting. Because because the defense, the, 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 uh, uh, off of the, uh, the people he was fighting never had the chance to really put up an effective defense. And so that is one of the, uh, middle, you know, the, the genius parts of uh, how he conducted warfare. Mm -hmm. So I just needed to bring that up. All right. So I know I have the second clip, and that is dealing with uh, a certain incident, and I will remember to mention it when I get to it. So we are back to Normandy. He was not involved in Normandy because Patton was a pusher. He was better at moving an army once it was on the ground. Amphibious assault, the people in charge, Eisenhower and Worth that were like, no, 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 no. We do not want uh, Patton involved in the landing because it, he, he it's not his style. He would yeah. have caused more problems than, than, than helped. And so before Normandy, he was assigned something um, having to do called, uh, no, not Operation Overlord. There was another operation where there was a fake army that was being collected. And this was a ruse in order to dupe the Germans into thinking that there was an invasion that was going to be happening in Norway and farther north. And so because the Germans so respected and feared Patton, this is one of the reasons that um, they, uh, Operation Fortitude, I found it, that the, the Germans had a vast amount of their uh, military defending beaches where the Allies were not landing. All because they feared Patton, thinking they were that th this Operation uh, Fortitude was going to land elsewhere. In mm -hmm. fact, they believed Operation Fortitude so much, so hook, line, and sinker, that even after the Allies had landed, they did not move. The Germans did not move their forces, thinking that the landing was a feint. <laughs> and not the real thing. So that okay. tells you the reputation that they, they had of uh, Patton. Yeah. So, so we are getting towards the top uh, of the hour, and your next clip is about two minutes long. So, uh, Oh, goodness. Right. So the reason that he was kind of like in the in, hidden and kind of put on the sideline was because of an incident involving 
him slapping some soldiers, and this what the, that's what this clip is about. Let's go. What's the matter with you? Uh, I guess I just can't take it, sir. What did you say? It's my nerves, sir. I, I, I just can't stand the shelling anymore. Your nerves? Well, hell, you're just a goddamn coward. Sitting here crying in front of these brave men who've been wounded in battle. <laughs> Shut up! Don't admit this yellow bastard. Nothing wrong with him. We won't have sons of bitches who are afraid to fight stinking up this place of honor. You're going back to the front, my friend. You may get shot, you may get killed, but you're going up to the fighting. Either that or I'm going to stand you up in front of a firing squad. I ought to shoot you myself, you goddamn bastard. Get him out of here. Send him up to the front. You hear me? You goddamn coward. Is that the end? Uh, yeah, there's just some footsteps, cool. I think. Cool. Coward's in my army. Oh, there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what I, what Patton didn't know is he had, there were two slapping incidents. There were two soldiers that this happened, two separate incidents. And what he didn't know was that these soldiers were sent to the tents, the, the hospital tents by medics on the front line, because these soldiers, um, like one, one had a fever of 102 malarial parasites. I mean, diarrhea, when you're in that in that bad of a situation, you are more of a detriment than an asset. Oh yeah, you're not you're not carrying your weight, and so the medics on in the on the front line were the one that made the call. Like I got to get these guys out of here. They're they're going to be a problem. And so uh, the military, the you know, the medical doctors and the nurses are like, yeah, these people need help, and so they're sitting them in a church in, in in the hospitals. And Patton, who loved to go to hospitals and slap medals onto people. Because you know Bruce morale comes across these two soldiers who were ordered away from the front lines, and makes the decision of his own. That's like, oh, well, they're just cowards, and starts slapping them and you know threatening to shoot them. Uh, wow. So yeah, like I said, the guy's an asshole. He didn't know what he was talking about. He was a, he was ignorant, and uh, the military wanted to kind of let it slide and just like, oh no, this is bad. Don't don't talk about it. But the medical staff said, fuck that, and they took it right up to Eisenhower. And so it became, you know, Eisenhower asked the press, please don't talk this about, because the military was fine with it, except for the me medical staff, but uh, Americans don't like bullies. Uh, so I see yeah. I'm out of time. Um, you know what? I've got so much more to talk about. Oh, let's just make this part one of a two-part thing, and I'll talk. I'll finish up talking about Patton uh, next week. All right. Fair enough. I appreciate that. So interesting stuff and yeah see if you can get uh, a couple more audio clips uh, to go along with uh, yep, some yep. of this stuff that'll be fun uh because i'm a big fan of george c scott as well um 
but uh, that is the actor who played him, George C. Scott, right? Yes, yes, and it is funny to listen to his voice, George C. Scott's voice, compared yeah. to the actual Patton, because yeah. Patton had a higher pitched, a little bit more of a less uh, intimidating sound to himself, yeah. <laughs> a yes. little less intimidating too. Uh, yes. But he was a pretty intimidating guy in his own right. Uh, but all right, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, speaking of intimidation, uh, the writings of Bram Stoker uh, yes. adaptations. We're going to talk about when we come back. So hang tight. We shall return. With lots more great stuff right after this on It Came From Cleveland. Children of the night, what music they make. And now, on with the show. It's going to be a good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror. And you're invited. A foolish undertaking. Something evil. It came from Cleveland and brought along the flying monkeys. Not recommended for impressionable children. Flying monkeys will do a number on impressionable children, that's for damn sure. They're creepy. I was one of them. <laughs> so welcome back uh, to the final hour of this uh, edition of It Came From Cleveland. 11 12 20 21. My god, it's almost Thanksgiving, people. What the hell happened? Time. That's, scary. That's what happened. So, uh, yeah, so welcome back to the show. Uh, and Michelle, that was a real treat listening to that uh show that we did. Uh, man, in your 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 uh 25,000 stage uh turkey brining uh uh recipe. Was great. Hey, it's worth so, it though. I the, know. the turkey comes out so moist. It's I'm, <laughs> <laughs> it, I'm just, it just, no, I'm, I'm sure it does. So, uh, uh, but now it was fun revisiting that and talking to you and John about cooking and, of course, Janet too. That was a lot of fun. Good memories. And, uh, of course, uh, welcome back, Joe. Hello, Joe. Hello. And I'm still here. Very good. Did, did Sharky listen in to the Jaws trailer earlier? Yeah, and uh, he's out looking for fish now. I don't know what oh, okay. that's all about. <laughs> Did he ask for a bigger boat? <laughs> yeah, he so. wants a bigger bone. Is what he oh, wants. Oh, bigger bone, yeah. Sure he does. Yeah. So, and uh, Miles, thank you again for the, the patent stuff, and we'll look forward to uh, part two next uh, Friday. Yeah, yeah. All right, and Michelle, all right, we got some work to do. We got some trailers to go through here. Yes, we do. Um. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, Bram Stoker. Um, he was born on November 8th in 1847 um, uh, in a, a small Irish town just on the north side of uh, Dublin, Ireland. Um, oh. He is the third of seven children. And um, he was bedridden until the age of seven. At that point, he made a complete recovery. Really? 
Yeah, and that's where he that's where um he he is uh his one of his quotes is I was naturally thoughtful and the leisure of long illness gave me gave opportunity for many thoughts which were fruitful according to their kind in later years. So that's you know that was what he uh uh attributed to, to his imagination developing his imagination at an early age not being able to go outside or do anything like that. Um and that led him to going on uh, to college and becoming an athlete in college. Oh wow! So yeah, it it it's pretty neat to go from that. You know, he played. He was a he went into he played multiple sports, including rugby, and that's that's no sport for 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 a a weak individual. No, for sure. So yeah, um, so he has written a lot of things. Um, there's there's lots of um, uh, rumors about him. Um, one of the rumors about his death was the way his death certificate read, he might have died from complications of syphilis. Okay. Um, but uh, his literary career was really, really quite uh, potent. He not only did a, a lot of novels, but he also had um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of collections of short stories as well. Yes. At least three collections of really robust short stories. So, um, and people always think of him, they know Dracula. But what a lot of people don't attribute to him is a lot of the mummy mythos and movies that are out there were based on his uh, book, uh, the, the, the Seven Star, uh, the Jewel of the Seven Stars. Really? Really? Yes. And um, I have I have chosen several trailers here that show several incarnations of that movie as they have been done over the years. And my first and favorite one, not only just because it's a hammer flick. But because the, the the headdress and costume worn by the mummy in this one is one of my favorites. But it's the 1972 Blood from the Mummy's Tomb. He who is buried here shall henceforth have no name, shall cease to exist in the minds of man as she has ceased to exist in life. For thousands upon thousands of years, she lay there, perfectly preserved in all her beauty, in all her evil. do have her name. Kara. Oh, it's beautiful. Wear it always. Wear it now. Here. Across the centuries to another time, to another place, she is back amongst the living to claim all that is hers. You're ready to kill me? No, no, no! To threaten those who woke her from her eternal sleep. Resurrection. A rebirth for Terra. Complete control. Over life, over death. Who are you? 
it was her, his largest life, standing over there. No, it's happened. You have to help me. You know its power. I have no mind left, no will. In the name of Terra, she is back. To destroy those who helped to raise her evil flesh and blood from the mummy's tomb. That's a good one. Yep. Yeah, it is. It's a hammer one, so it's a lot of fun. Now, the reason why I have all these clips just on on, on this one's alone and then a, f- a few of the others after this is because I wanted to show you the difference. Um, the next one is a film called, it, it, um, in 1980, called The Awakening. Now, this one had production value in it. It had gorgeous sets. It also starred Charlton Heston and Stephanie Zimbalist played oh. his daughter. Yes. Very so cool. this is called The Awakening. Through the ages, the ancient monuments of Egypt have been hunting grounds for archaeologists, tourists, and grave robbers. One by one, the sacred tombs of pharaohs and queens have been violated, yielding their priceless treasures and occult mysteries But the evil one, Kara, has slept undisturbed for thousands of years, waiting, waiting for the awakening. She must have killed thousands. Kara. You must be forever alone. Do not approach Kara, lest your soul be withered. The inscription was a warning for mankind. For all those who take part in her awakening are doomed. (coughs) Charlton Heston, obsessed by the awakening, intrudes where no man should go. I'm frightened. Susanna York disobeys the ancient warning that threatens to destroy her. You're going to try the ritual, aren't you? Stephanie Zimbalist defies the deadly legend and brings forth the terror. The evil one must be forever alone. She must not live again. For 4,000 years, she has been silent and dead and waiting for the awakening. They thought they had buried her forever. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. Yes, and and Love as that. I said, beautiful sets. You know, mm-hmm. fairly good names in the cast. Um, and it, it's funny it, it, as you listen to these, you can tell the difference between the movie eras too. Yeah. Now, <laughs> the next one is called The Tomb. This was done in 1986. It's extremely low budget. It's a very short trailer. And remember how we were talking about John Carradine the other day and how we, we were pretty sure he never refused a paycheck? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this this is one of those films that he did not refuse a paycheck, sh- and he probably should have. <laughs> well, there I go. The Tomb, 1986. Oh, wow, yeah. 
They came yeah. looking for the richest treasure on Earth and were willing to fight against overwhelming odds to get it. They would let nothing stand in their way, but what they found was much rarer than riches and carried a price that would leave the living to envy the dead. Enter a bizarre world of supernatural powers, an incredible realm of forbidden desires and unspeakable revenge. Once the terror is unleashed, there may be no power on earth that can stop it. John Carradine, Cameron Mitchell, and Sybil Danning dare you to join them on a journey oh, into Banning. hell on earth. <laughs> Who will survive the tomb? Wow, top billing from Sybil Danning there. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, that, see, that's what I said. Oh. And, and even looking at the, the, the trailer's poster or the trailer's, uh, you know, uh, uh, prime card right there it's just it's awful and you notice they didn't go over any real plot no in, in, in the trailer either they didn't I'm say assuming... you know such and such is rising from the dead just you know, supernatural terror and... sybil danning <laughs> is topless so <laughs> that's you know that's probably one of those trailers where it's like oh my gosh there's nudity in that you know <laughs> yeah 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 um hold on a i want to bring up the, the information on the next one because this is this one's even better Oh, no problem. But yeah, Sybil Danning is note. I have, I currently have for sale in our store a copy of Panther Squad starring <laughs> uh, Sybil Danning. Um, and yeah, she was, she was well known for uh, being uh, well endowed and uh, not, uh, um, not refusing to do uh, topless scenes. Right, right. So, um, yeah. So the next incarnation of this 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 legend is is Bram Stoker's Legend of the Mummy. This was done in 1998, and its big name is Louis Gossett Jr., which really oh, nice. really surprised me. And uh, this one this one's kind of fun. Uh, it's a it it's a bit hokey on the mummy part of it, but the story is pretty fun. All right. So, uh, legend. Uh... Yeah, Legend of the Mummy, okay. 1998. Buried beneath the sands of time. This tavern is broken for a good reason. Something ancient stirs. Pack it up. Pack everything. We call upon thy powers to restore life. Something evil waits. From Bram Stoker, the master of terror and suspense, comes the modern day legend of the mummy. She's not going to let us go until she gets what she wants. It's the curse, they're all gonna die. No! Starring Lou Gossett Jr. Amy Locaine, Eric Lutz, Richard Karn, and Victoria Tennant. What does she want? For her spirit to breathe again. <coughs> Tonight, it will be my destiny to bring her back to life. Bram Stoker's The Mummy. You know, I'm also surprised about is every time I discover that there's yet another sequel to Iron Eagle with Lewis Gossett Jr. 
Oh, yes, yes. That used to be a big thing for a while. (laughs) It's like, they made a fourth one? What? (laughs) Yes, yes. But yes, like, yeah, if you listen to those trailers, um, and I watched, uh, I watched at least three of them. I could not bring myself to watch uh, The Tomb. Just because it was just so awful, uh, <laughs> I think you didn't watch burial. Of, you didn't watch burial. Burial of the rats. Oh no, I didn't watch that one either. <laughs> I, 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 I had my film of exploitation films. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 hilarious. But, but yeah, so um, yeah, you can see the difference. You can see the different feel of the trailers. Uh, the stories are the same story, but they're all a little different. You know, mm-hmm. some are better written than others. Some have better actors than others. And just the Hammer one has just got a, a happy place in my heart. Oh, sure. So, sure. Yeah, so so uh, Bram Stoker, you know, one of, the, one of the fathers of the mummy legends as well. Especially the evil female mummy. Yeah. See? Yeah. So, and obviously that, that they were trying to uh, uh, bring that back with that Tom Cruise reboot. As well, and that, and and the mummy was itself dumb. was that a little bit of that too. So yeah. if you think about, it, they were trying to re re uh, resurrect uh, a Moon, I think her name was. Okay. So, but they used the the mummy, the male mummy, as a lead character. The old the old uh, Universal Studios one, where where it was the the high priest of her, you know, trying to protect her and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So yeah. Um. So yeah, that's Bram Stoker, and and I had to include. Uh, I just want to run the, the the Dracula trailer real quick, and then we'll go with the other two ones. But the Dracula, this is my favorite Dracula, just because they kept it really nice to the books, mm-hmm. and because it had such an amazing cast. Here we go. Here occurred the frightening and shocking history of Prince Dracula. And the woman he loved. I have crossed oceans of time to find you. Yeah. Dracul. There is a sinister, darker side to him. I find irresistible. I have never met any man with such a passion for life. He is unlike any man. What are you? Vampires do exist. This one we fight, this one we face. Can take on many forms. He is both young and old. He can appear as mist, as vapor, as the fog. And he can vanish at will. Oh, my love. The power of his evil desire has no end. You've got to go to him. You've got to love him. She is a willing recruit and devoted disciple. She is the devil's concubine. Dagger! Join me in the eternal life. Your salvation is his destruction. I want to see what you see. I want to love what you love. Take me away from all this death. 
make no mistake, he must be stopped. You know, I know what people say that Keanu Reeves is a bit wooden in the in the role. But you have Gary Oldman, you have a notoriety, you have Sir Anthony Hopkins, you have Carrie Elwes, you have Tom Waits as Renfield. You can you're so you're saying you can you can overlook a few um... I I can overlook him in the in the role yeah. of Harker. I really can because the whole cast of it is so and look listen to that laugh Gary Oldman had at the end. You know, oh, yeah. he has a creepy laugh. <laughs> oh yeah, Gary Oldman is uh you know, he he's he's a master, uh you know, definitely a modern master. Yeah, so but it was a beautiful movie and I love it. It's very sensuous, very and it's 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 it fits nicely to the book without it being so Victorian that people wouldn't want to watch it. Yeah, because you, everyone has to remember these books were written back in the Victorian times. You know, these were these were light porn back then. You yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> well, pretty much, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that that those that's what he's most famous for. But then we have two other books. One, I mean, two other, uh, yeah, books. Um, one is called Lair of the White Worm. Oh, you ready for the trailer? Yeah, we'll throw that real quick, and we can make a comment right. about it afterwards. From the director of Altered States and the creator of Dracula comes a new classic thriller with a bite. Ken Russell's The Lair of the White Worm, starring Sammy Davis of Hope and Glory, Catherine Oxenberg from TV's Dynasty, Amanda Donahoe, and Hugh Grant of Maurice. In a remote corner of present-day England, a young archaeologist named Angus Flint unearths a mysterious ancient skull and uncovers a horrifying pagan mysticism. When the skull suddenly disappears, strange things start to happen. And Angus begins to suspect the bizarre and serpentine Lady Sylvia Marsh. Together with his friends Mary and Lord James Dampton, Angus sets out to destroy the horrible white worm and his evil worshippers before they make a living sacrifice of the young virgin Eve. Peter Travers of People Magazine says, the lair of the white worm is a hoot of a horror film. Variety calls it an original fun-filled nightmare. And Stuart Klein of Fox Channel 5 says, it's droll, kinky, fun, see it. Slither into a labyrinth of terror and fun with the master of the bazaar, Ken Russell's The Lair of the White Worm. <laughs> what? trailer is ridiculous <laughs> isn't that fun it was a short one i thought it yeah. was kind of kind of fun and campy i loved it <laughs> yeah oh that's and like that fun kinky fun or something whatever he said about yeah. it yeah <laughs> raunchy sleazy dirty good time <laughs> yes. and it is it's kind it's kind of sleazy yeah. for a movie but it, it, it it's a fun movie um are you saying and, there uh, was there were sleazy movies made in the 80s i'm shocked i'm shocked there's gambling uh, going on here, yeah so. yeah yeah i'm, I'm, I'm shocked <laughs> and, and um the last one is based on a, sh a short story one that appeared in one of his collections and this one's called shadow builder and it's basically about the battle between light and darkness it's basically god chain darkness by creating light and this is you know it, it it's a really cool little idea who are you 
<laughs> it is deadly. It is insatiable. It is real. And only one man. I'm here to take you back. Dares to stand in its way. Praise be the Lord, my strength, who teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. of the master, the creator of Dracula, Rom Stoker's Shadow Builder. Be afraid of the dark. I am. And, and nothing more fun than Michael Rooker playing a priest. Ah, that's hysterical. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and, and many people might not know Michael Rooker by name. But a great character actor. He was uh, Yondu in the Guardians of the Galaxies Volume 1 and 2. And uh, also was in uh, Walking Dead. Yes, so. yes. He's the guy that gets chained to the uh, pipe at the top of the building in the beginning of The Walking Dead. I think in Episode 2. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't seen much of that. But uh, I see him a lot in, in a lot of different places, actually. You know, and I'm kind of surprised. But yeah, he's... Uh, um, you know, he was a lot younger in Shadow Builder than we're used to seeing him too, so that's kind of fun. Yes, it is, and but he still got that voice, that nice gravelly voice, and oh, it's yeah. something you can immediately recognize. Kind of, kind of has a little bit of a southern twang to it too. <laughs> yeah, so, so so there's a little bit of Bram Stoker. You know, some of the movies you like, he just may have had a hand in, and you know, I'm I'm hoping I educated some people today so they know a little bit more about Bram Stoker other than just Dracula. Yeah. And if you're interested in a lenticular cover VHS tested copy of Shadow Builder, I have one for sale alongside the high quality VHS <laughs> Burial of the Rats. <laughs> with... Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, sleaze, that's, anyone? Yeah, that's right up there with the cannibal women from the avocado jungle. There you go. Yeah, if we ever start it, we'll start a new, uh, um, new show one day called uh, 80s Sleaze and Cheese. Oh, that'd be funny. <laughs> There's so much of it. Maybe a segment, huh? <laughs> so. Yeah. Um. Actually, uh, the the In Search of Darkness people, the guys that did the 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 the, the, the two documentaries on it, yeah. they're coming out with a third one that I'm getting as well. Oh, great! This is about the direct to video. Oh dear uh, lord! Yes, it's it's going to be amazing. <laughs> oh my god, that is that is stunning. All right, well, I'll tell you what. Thank you so much for that, Michelle. We do have to get run into the break because we do have um, one more birthday trailer break uh, that we have to play. And uh, that one is your three and four. And then I added a fifth onto it as well. Right, we have Demi Moore and Anne Hathaway. Yes, so uh, Demi Moore in The Seventh Sign. The Seventh Sign, yes. That's a fun little movie. And 
uh, Anne Hathaway in The Witches, which I have not heard of. It sounds great. It's it's fun. It's a fun little kids kind of, but good creepy movie. Yeah. I enjoy it. Well, and then I tacked on because Kim Hunter from Planet of the Apes fame uh, and uh, all kinds of other stuff. Um, she uh, did a movie that was co-directed by Dario Argento and George A. Romero called Two Evil Eyes starring Harvey Keitel and Adrian Barbeau. It's kind Dude. of an anthology. And it, I watched the trailer today and it's 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 sleazy and cheesy. Here we go. We'll be right back. The time is coming. I can't wait. Two months to go. The signs are beginning. Found this. It's incredible. The seals are breaking. The day is approaching. Hello. Hi. The mystery is unfolding. I need to know what this says. I need to know what language it is. It's about the apocalypse. Your baby's due in February, the 29th. How'd you know that? There's a whole chain of signs, like a countdown. The Bible's filled with them. One of the signs has to be stopped. What how, Mrs. Quinn? Do you know how? It's time for you to know, Abby. Stay away! There's nothing you can do. You can't stop it. Show me you have hope, Abby. Demi Moore in The Seventh Sign. My story begins when I was a young boy. You'll be comfy here in your mama's old room. I'd do anything for her to be here right now. Grandma was a tough lady with a big heart. And little by little, she brought me out of my sadness. Now, if you feel that you can't go on, darling. I didn't know it. But there was a dark shadow looming nearby. Witches. They're real. And they hate children. Welcome. What would you do if there were mice running all around this hotel? I would call the exterminator. You see, girls? He would exterminate those brats. Uh, rats. We would exterminate the rats. Yeah, this was happening. Then here, that means a test is coming. Ladies, I have a plan. Andro, the transform a child into a mouse. Whoa! Why are we mouses? Mice. Whatever. You boy? We'll never let you get away with your filthy evil plot. Who's gonna stop me? Doesn't matter who you are or what you look like, so long as somebody loves you. You wouldn't happen to be carrying around a mouse on your person, now would you? A mouse? Mm hmm Why on earth would I be carrying around a mouse? 
Edgar Allan Poe, the writer who first gave fear a face. Dario Argento and George Romero, those twisted minds in horror movies, all three united to make a film that will blow your peace of mind to pieces. He's liquidating a substantial number of his assets here. Perhaps if he'd be willing to wait... We can't wait, Mr. Pike. The doctors give him three weeks. It looks like that. Robert, what if he... What if he hears me? I'm sure he can. Valdemar, do you hear me? Yes, I hear you. Fascinating. Somewhere deep in his consciousness, he knows exactly what we're doing to him. You killed her. And I didn't kill her! Yes, you did. You... It's a fucking cat! Evil eyes. Uh, Robert! Robert! Wake up! Probe into your nightmares. Who was his cousin? You know why he did it? To pull her teeth out. All 32 of them. Drag your anxieties out of their darkest hiding place. He couldn't have been dead. Plunge into panic. Whoever dares challenge the malignant power. We're gonna wake you, Valdemar! Two evil eyes. And discover how terrified you are of your own fear. Let me just tell you, the trailer for that doesn't hold back anything. <laughs> I, again, that's another movie. Two Evil Eyes. It, it's, it was also known as The Black Cat. And um, uh, an Italian name, too, that I don't know. Um, but yes. Yeah, they're both the, um, uh, the facts in the case of Mr. Valdemar, I think was the other one. Yeah, and, uh, well, there's some pit in the pendulum action going on in this, too, that starts the trailer right off, and it's pretty gruesome. Yep. Um, and sleazy. So, uh, but welcome back, but that's Dario Argento for you. He does, didn't really hold back in a lot of his films. Um, so, uh, Suspiria probably being one of his most, uh, biggest moments of restraint. Um, <laughs> I'm serious. Or oh, maybe Phenomena, but then again, that Yeah, too. I think Phenomena may more, but yeah. yeah. But yeah, Argento, you know, I mean, if it, Tenebrae, oh, Jesus. <laughs> the blood in Tenebrae. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, brightest red crimson paint everywhere, you know? <laughs> Love it. So anyway, welcome back, Michelle. That was really awesome. Thank you for uh, compiling a bunch of Bram Stoker movies for everybody to... Uh, enjoy and uh, of course Joe thanks for the uh, the the Claude Rains info tonight very good again a lot of fun yeah and uh, you know again somebody who was uh, two in two classic uh, horror movies uh, I really need to rewatch his uh, Phantom of the Opera um, mm. you know. yes that's a good one yeah so I believe that was 1954 in color something around there so, um, and I think I have a copy of my store for sale on VHS. <laughs> well, of course you do. <laughs> so, I love this. Because branding, you, branding. Yeah, you guys pick movies, and I'm like, I got that one. So, I might have a copy of Patton somewhere, uh, but I don't I don't make war movies a priority because they don't sell that well, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I did I just, um, uh, I do have Trauma's War. <laughs> uh yeah i would guess you would <laughs> yeah i don't have a lot of trauma actually i only have a couple trauma movies but um you're you not know. a big fan of theirs right I'm, you don't 
No, I, I think they, they, they were awfully sexist and misogynist in a lot of things. And, uh, uh, you know, definitely to a fault. But Trauma's War actually is a pretty funny movie. I remember watching that and enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, it was another name before it was Trauma's War. They rebranded it like they did a lot of movies. But, um, but yeah, so anyway... Uh, all right, welcome back, everybody. And um, uh, yeah, Miles definitely looking forward to part two of the patent next week as well. Oh, so, yeah. And uh, so here we go. Uh, what time is it, everybody? That time. That time to play one second of the Twilight Zone theme so we don't get sued <laughs> by CBS. Um, so... <laughs> Although, uh, arguably, they probably are like, oh, no, it's cool. You're giving us a free review. It's fine. But uh, this one is a classic. Uh, this was rebroadcast right around the same time, I believe, in, um, uh, what was it, 60 years ago? Um, rebroadcast for a second time in season two, Eye of the Beholder. But it originally came out in 1959 for the beginning of season one, I think. something Something like that. But yeah, so Eye of the Beholder, classic episode. This is really probably one of the most iconic uh, episodes from Twilight Zone we've talked about outside of like, I, where is everybody, you know. With this one and uh, Burgess Meredith is really iconic too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I I had all the time in the world, you know. Yeah, <laughs> Canimate, you know, the one, you know, to serve man. It's not fair. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, way up there with, with a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the big, you know, there's, uh, there's a man on the wing. There's something on the wing. Um, you know, all that stuff. But yeah, so this is like our first classic one. I have a lot of audio for it. I don't know how much we're going to be able to get to. Uh, but this one, this one affected me greatly as a child. And there are certain movies and things that really disturb me. And it's usually, like, things where people have facial injuries and they're wrapped in bandages. Like, a good... Miles, did you ever see Johnny Got His Gun? Uh, does not ring a bell. Metallica used a bunch of scenes from that movie for their their music video one, if you remember that, um, that came I, out. I wasn't a real music video person. Okay. All right. Well, it, it was it, 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 basically it was about um, a quadruple amputee who was like blind and I think deaf and mute. And you mean like a farewell to arms? Um, I think it, Johnny got his gun is probably based on that. Okay, I'll have to look at it. But um, but this movie is right up there with that, you know, because it, um. Uh, it, it's just has a very disturbing aesthetic all the way through. And, you know, the, the lead actress, Joe, her voice is like so haunting and like clear through the bandages that it's mm -hmm. like, it, it kind of, it gives a really unnerving, um, stretch throughout the film before you realize what's right. going on. Mm -hmm. And the camera work, Michelle, that's another thing, you know, where the, it's, it's up there with, uh, psycho in the shower scene, you know, yeah, because there's, yeah, there's, there's no direct lighting except for on her in the bed. Everybody else is in shadow yeah, throughout or most of it. shot from above shot from, or from behind the neck up, you know, 
oh, the nurse walks in, but you can't see her face because of the lamp, you know? Right. Yep. <laughs> so very, very creative camera work, much like, you know, how they, you know, the shower scene in Psycho, uh, you know, yep. lots of, lots of careful edits and, uh, you know, uh, of hiding uh, identities and, and naughty bits. Uh, so, <laughs> but this is a slightly different angle of what they were hiding. So uh, we'll start off with uh, the the opening scene of uh, the the lead uh, actress. I don't I don't have the information for the episode in front of me. Um, we'll leave that to Rod Serling to explain what's going on in the second clip. But uh, the, to to get that audio aesthetic that's unnerving to me, this this clip will perfectly um, illustrate that for you guys. Oh, and I'm sorry, I should should uh, say for anybody um, that hasn't seen this, the scene opens with a woman, uh, her entire head is wrapped in bandages, uh, laying in a hospital bed, and it, it opens with her having a conversation with a nurse about when her bandages are going to be removed. Nurse? Come for your sleeping medicine, honey. Huh. Is it night already? It's 9.30. Oh, what about the day? Well, what about it? Well, was it a beautiful day? And was it warm? Was the sun out? It was kind of warm. Yes. And clouds? Were there clouds in the sky? I suppose there were. I never was much for staring up at the sky. No. I used to like to look at the clouds a lot. If you stare at them long enough, they become things. You know what I mean? People, ships, anything you want, really. Time to take your temperature now. Oh, please, one more thing, nurse. Well? When will they take the bandages off? How long, nurse? Until they decide whether or not they can fix your face. Oh, I guess it's pretty bad, isn't it? I've seen worse. Well, yes, but it's pretty bad, isn't it? Oh, I know it's pretty bad. Ever since I can remember, ever since I was a little girl, people have turned away when they looked at me. Funny. The very first thing I can remember is another little child screaming when she looked at me. I, I never really wanted to be beautiful, you know? I mean, I, I never wanted to look like a painting. I never even wanted to be loved, really. I just, I just wanted people not to scream when they looked at me. When, nurse? When, when, when will they take the bandages off? Maybe tomorrow. Maybe the next day. Now hush. Maybe the next day. Now hush. Uh, yeah, so the, the episode is, is a lot of this. A lot of anticipation uh with the doctors and the, the and and not only that but we're also introduced to this fascist society that's going on that values conformity um on just about every level from people in society uh, especially conformity in the way they look so it's a, it's a pretty bold statement um for the time also uh this episode predicted flat screen TVs yes um, they did Yes, and, you know, even ones that ray come down, like your home theater that comes down from the ceiling if you're, if you're super rich and, you know, want to get that 
that little thing going on. Or if you go to a, a concert venue or something like that and the, the screens come down, you know, totally predicted that. Um, uh, but yeah, very, it kind of has a real Orwellian feel. Um, yes. Uh, so, and that was the part that I kind of forgot about because that part is a little, you know, overshadowed by the shock value of it. Uh, Mm -hmm. but I, you know, I, I really, you know, enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, because, you know, there's a, in our modern society now, you know, the, the, this it's, it's looks are everything still, even though we're trying to get past it, we're trying to grow as a society and everything, you know, I mean, look at a show like, you know, uh, the bachelor, the bachelorette, are they ever going to have people that, you know, maybe are in a wheelchair on one of those shows or somebody who's, uh, you know, vision impaired or somebody who isn't, uh, you know, a size two or, you know, yep, a bodybuilder, body yep. you know, mm-hmm. Um, it, it, so it, it's, you know, it, it, we're, we're still there and, and, you know, again, the, for the twilight zone to take a look at this and, you know, and flip it on its head, uh, was, was pretty revolu- revolutionary and if I may. yeah, please. Yeah. The, uh, uncomfortable analogy that I see in it mm-hmm. is in conversion therapy to conform i can see that too absolutely yeah because that you know conversion therapy is um that is that is evil that is a fascist um you know um practice yeah yeah Yeah, it is and 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 that 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 was an automatic thing for the society to do to a person and Mm -hmm. it, it makes the people want to be converted, you know, it's just because of the religious. Yeah. Anyway. Or yeah, the stigma of being, you know, attached to looks or mm-hmm. the way you're rea- acting, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, Joe, any, any uh, quick impressions about this before we get to the next uh, clip? Like you, I, um, I was, well, I was a little boy when this uh, first, I watched this and I, I'll never forget. That's the one Twilight Zone that scared the shit out of me, and oh, left an impression understood. on me. Yeah. To this day, I I have a hard time looking at these pig faces. But well, uh, yeah, and 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 again, a lot of the terror for me was the anticipation because my dad, you know, had me watch this when I was young, and he's like, "Just keep watching, just keep watching, just keep watching." I'm like, "What's going on?" And it, but it was, you know, the, the dialogue was so eerie and, and well, I guess this, I'll play the next clip. Um, I'm going to skip the Rod Serling commentary because we, we, we kind of have the gist of what's going on. Um, but uh, let, me, let me play this next one. Uh, hopefully we have time to uh, uh, put them all in, but here's the next one. Tyler, please, please. The state is not God. It hasn't the right to penalize somebody for an act. Yeah, so, um, sorry, I should have set that one up a little bit better. I didn't remember exactly the context. But this is her, you know, she's starting to really, like, you know, she shouldn't be punished for the way she was born. She shouldn't be, you know, put through these rigors of surgery, you know, that, that it's not a sin to be born a certain way. 
and uh you know and and she just starts uh breaking down she's like take these bandages off now tyler please please the state is not god it hasn't the right to penalize somebody for an accident of birth it hasn't the right to make ugliness a crime tyler miss tyler stop this immediately <laughs> i feel the night out there i feel the air i can smell the flowers Oh, please. Oh, please. Please take this off me, please. Please take this off me. Please take this off me. Oh, please take this off me. Take it off me. Take it off me. Help! Somebody help me. Help! No, no, no. no. Let me go. Let me go. All right, then I will take the bandages off. Get the anesthetist. Good yeah, so that kind of stuff really just it was was horrible because I mean I already as a kid you know was all messed up by you know because the mummy freaked me out a lot when I was a kid because you know again face wrapped in bandages you know. You just see that you relate to it. There was a comic book character, the Unknown Soldier, loosely based on the Unknown Soldier, yeah. you know, and he had his face wrapped in bandages. There was the Negative Man from Doom Patrol who was wrapped in bandages as well, Larry Trainer, uh, you know. So that always was like, but I'm still, I'm, you know, kind of drawn to it now just because you know things that traumatized me in film and TV when I was a kid, I, I kind of find a, a morbid fascination with as in as I'm older. Um, but that, mm-hmm. but but her crying and and wanting these bandages off made it so much more traumatic to me that she had the you know I'm like what is going on this is you know and, and she takes away her her actions and and her the acting pulls away especially if you you know you don't expect what's coming you're not even concerned about seeing everybody else's faces right right and the one thing that um really really disturbed me about this episode is her speech a little bit later you know when they're about to you know when she's talking to the doctors or waiting for the anesthetist and that sort of thing and she's Mm -hmm. talking about she's actually asking if she can be euthanized yeah i actually have that as part of a a larger clip here uh at the because the the and that's another thing too joe the anticipation of them taking the bandages out, they're like, "All right, we're taking off layer number fifty right now." So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. And, and but also, yeah, go ahead. But also, be so traumatized to be so hated, to hate how you look, yeah. to know what society is going to do to you, to want mm-hmm. to die instead of to keep on living. You know yeah. that that hits a very personal feeling, and, and that thing that that is still going on to this very day uh with you know uh people who are who aren't don't fit into the you know alpha male subservient you know female you know heterosexual roles you know white christian whatever you know uh so so it, it you know definitely resonates to this day there are people who would rather die than than be tortured by other Individuals, I won't say people because somebody who's cruel to another person just because they're different than them, 
you know, they're not human to me. They're, you know, uh, I say thin the herd the other way. Uh, <laughs> get, get rid of the, you know, uh, you know, send send the cruel people to go live on their own little uh, island uh, in the sun. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so this is a long clip. And if you guys are okay with it, we might go over like 10 minutes. Is that all right? That's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but this is a long clip. This is almost five minutes long and it, it just... It just is such a magnificently long scene, and you hear, you know, her and uh, hear from her and the the doctors, and you know the the there's a little bit from the uh, dictatorship, the the government, uh, you know, and you know running through the corridors, and then people being shocked, of course, because they take the final layer of bandages off of her face, and. Lo and behold, she just looks like a regular human woman, uh, and everyone around her has these twisted, gnarled, pig-like faces, like Joe said, uh, with like you know the Billy Idol uh, lip action. You know, <laughs> everybody's got a, you know the raised Elvis lip. You know, big old. Um, and, and, and they know. even, they even have a face mask with that for our COVID days. <laughs> yes. Yes. I've seen that. That's very nice. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so there's, there's a lot that happens in this four minutes and 48 seconds. And, uh, she actually ends up, well, you'll see, uh, you'll, you'll hear, and you should be able to ascertain what exactly is going on. So here we go. Here's the big clip. And then we have one more after that. Now, we have done all we could do. If we've been successful, well and good, there are no problems. But if, on the other hand, this final treatment has not achieved the desired result, please remember, Miss Tyler, that you can still live a long and fruitful life among people of your own kind. Now, as soon as we discover the results, we'll either release you or... Doctor? Yes. If I'm still terribly ugly, well, is there any other alternative? Could I please be put away? Well, under certain circumstances, Miss Tyner, the state does provide for the extermination of undesirables. However, there are many factors to be considered in the decision. Under the present circumstances, I, I doubt very much whether we would be permitted to do anything but transfer you to a communal group of people with your disability. You'll make me go then. That would probably be the case. Now remain very quiet. Keep your eyes open. All right, Miss Tyler. Here comes the last of it. I wish you every good luck. Turn on the light. 
signal, please. from the group you're going to live with. Now, oddly enough, you've come right to him. Now, come on now. Don't be afraid. He's not going to hurt you. He won't hurt you. Don't be afraid. It's all right. It's all right, Miss Tyler. Now, this is Mr. Smith. Mr. Walter Smith. Mr. Smith is in charge of the village group in the north. He'll take you there tonight. It's the only way now. Mr. Tyler, we have a lovely village and wonderful people. I think you're going to like it where I'm going to take you. You'll, uh, you'll be with your own kind. And in a little while, Oh, you'll be amazed how little a while. You'll feel a sense of great belonging. You'll feel a sense of being loved. And you will be loved, Miss Tyler. By me personally, Miss Tyler. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so uh, this ugly AF dude uh, confronts this ugly AF uh, gal. Kidding. They're both like knockouts, uh, of course, and all the the you know creepy pig face people are like, oh god, almighty, what are we? Ugh. Yeah, yeah, cringing and Ugh. ew. <laughs> I like watching them smoke cigarettes though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was a out of that droopy nice mouth touch. corner. Yeah, yeah well, nice, nice touch. Yeah, there there was one where the guy's pulling the cigarette out of his mouth, and it kind of looks like it might have stuck on the makeup a little bit, and he's like pulls it a little slower. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so uh, yeah, that scene right there. <laughs> yes. So uh, it's it's like oh oh pulling my prosthetic off, um, but yeah, uh, you know, and again, this high def too on Amazon, I saw some interesting little. Um, almost like stitching kind of looking pattern that they use to uh, for the seams of of this makeup. Um, and you know, I wonder if 
some of these makeup artists who worked on that episode went on to be part of the crew for Planet of the Apes too. Because I see some surprise me. I see some stylistic similarities in the uh, in the in the prosthetics there, like the brow ridges and stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. So, but yeah, but some of the close up shots, if you look, there's a strange little, almost looks like a serrated. Uh, little marks above like the eyes and stuff. So, uh, but again, you know, it, you wouldn't have noticed that on a television that you know you bought back in the sixties, fifties, or sixties. Um, but uh, but anyway, um, so uh, any thoughts on any of that before I play the last clip for this? It's it's uh, it's like a two minute clip. No, yeah. You could see the the very fascist um, with the speech of the president being very oh. you know conform and uh, and whatnot. It was very much that. Remind you anybody? <laughs> I have uh, a question about their surgical skills. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> eleven attempts here. Well, they, they, they said they couldn't do surgery on her because of her skin and her facial structure and her bone structure. So they could only do injections. Oh, so they were chemical procedures. Right, they were chemical procedures. That was explained way at the beginning of the episode. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Because so, it's, it's uh, like, you don't know what you did? <laughs> like, I have some questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was like, basically, they gave her Botox. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah. well. Yeah, the, in, experimental injections. Yeah, to try to get yeah. her face to and reconfigure properly, which yeah. you know accounts for their droopy look because they probably were born with Botox in their face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So, uh, but uh, yeah. So <laughs> anyway, um, all right. So here's the final wrap up. Uh, you know that that actually gives the. I think we've got the the Rod Serling wrap up, but not only that, but uh, this this Mister Smith, as well, um, throws out the quote uh, that is the uh, obviously the inspiration for the title of the episode. So here you go. Why do we have to look like this? I don't know, Miss Tyler. I really don't know. But you know something? It doesn't matter. There's an old saying. Very, very old saying. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. When we leave here, when we go to the village, try to think of that, Miss Tyler. Say it over and over to yourself. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Come on now. We'll get your things and we'll leave. this place and when is it? What kind of world where ugliness is the norm and beauty the deviation from that norm? You want an answer? The answer is it doesn't make any difference. 
because the old saying happens to be true. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. In this year or a hundred years hence, on this planet or wherever there is human life, perhaps out amongst the stars, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Lesson to be learned in the Twilight Zone. There it is. And of course, Miles, I had to start putting gifts of actual beholders from D&D in the chat. So, Yes. Um, you'll, you'll appreciate that. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, you know, that's another thing. I would love to talk about beholders some night on the show. In the history of beholders. Well, we should do like a... Yeah, we should do like a monster night or something, or something. Yeah, you know, like yeah. maybe once a month, do a monster well, of the monster know, of the month. You know, little known monster. You know, <laughs> you know the, the sure. underrepresented monster episode. So, and happy anniversary, Francie. I hope you yes. enjoyed the show tonight. Um, and um, but yeah, we're 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 running long. Any final thoughts on the episode before we get to parting shots? Still scares me. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say, in defense of mankind uh, defining beauty, we, uh, as a species, are compelled by Mother Nature to seek out um, good mates with which to propagate the species. Yeah, sure. And in doing so, we look for things that are not asymmetrical. So there is, uh, you know, we got to fight against our natural instincts when... Uh, with defining beauty. Well, yeah, uh, you know, that's, uh, or at the very least, you find beauty, again, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. You shouldn't, you shouldn't um, let other people tell you what beauty is. You know, you should right. let, let your, let your yeah. instincts guide you. And you know, uh, you you know, you know, follow your hearts. <laughs> uh, for the cheesiest, uh, uh, one of my uh, cheesiest uh, final lines on the show. Uh, but yeah. you know, um, but but it's true. You know, you you need to, uh, you know, don't don't you, you set your expectations uh, by somebody else's. You know. Um, and, you know, and maybe even reevaluate, reevaluate your expectations at, at some point in your life. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, and definitely if at the very least don't impose your expectations on someone else. So that's what, Correct. that's really what we have to, to fight against there. So, uh, but, uh, Michelle, any other final thoughts on this episode? It's a very poignant episode. It covers a wider range of things, even just beyond the fascist conformity. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it touches everything. It touches on despair. It touches on, uh, you know, social norms and, and uh, you know, and, uh, you know, just it it hits a lot of buttons. <laughs> yeah, very early body horror uh, as well. Yeah. So. Um, and, uh, uh, Joe, you get the last word on this episode before we get to actual parting shots. So go ahead. Still scares the shit out of me. <laughs> uh, Sharky eat those pig faces right off their heads. He would have them for breakfast. Yeah. So yeah. like a big stack of pig face, uh, flapjacks. Uh, yeah. Flapjacks and a little syrup. <laughs> Sure. Hold the cigarettes, please. Hold yeah. the cigarettes. 
Yeah, watch it again and look for the guy pulling the cigarette out. And he, he kind of, it looks <laughs> like he kind of slows down because, it, you know, ooh, ooh shit. Stuff. Ah, the days of smoking in a hospital. <laughs> oh, God, that too. That too. They predicted flat screen TVs, but not, <laughs> not banning. Smoking car- doctors. Not banning carcinogens from hospitals. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, but all right, so let's let's do actual parting shots right now. Thanks everybody for being patient. Um, uh, I don't have much uh, for everybody, uh, I'll, so I'll go first. Uh, but I want to say have a great weekend. Uh, get ready for the holidays. Uh, we might possibly Michelle and I might talk about some fun uh, cooking ideas coming up, uh, possibly. But that's not really in our wheelhouse, so maybe not. Maybe we'll come up with like uh, monster food. Oh, I could talk about some Thanksgiving foods that I've made in the past. Yes, yes. Like my purple mashed potatoes with green gravy. Those were great. So, uh, <laughs> uh, way to freak people out. I need to come up with a green alternative other than food coloring, though. So, we'll, we'll work on it. Maybe I'll do a, 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 a something with kale. But anyway... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't have much of anything, uh, but we're, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, being back in the saddle. Had a lot of fun on, uh, time for go to bed last night and a lot of fun tonight. So thank you guys for that. So without further ado, uh, Joe, what do you have on the way out? Just, uh, listen for Tim Carmel, shall we? We will be, uh, offering a new service for people who want dead people to come to their event. Oh, good. Q, rec- Q recruiter. Um, there it is oh boy yep Q recruiter uh, rest in peace until we need you there you go don't rest too peacefully don't let that Dealey Plaza thing happen to you I'm not dead yet (laughs) we'll get you the right spirit for the right event oh I'm sorry (laughs) I didn't mean to cut you off yeah very nice I'm not dead yet so (laughs) I don't want to go on the cart um (laughs) I feel Look happy. at it, I could run, I could run. <laughs> I think I'll go for a walk. Uh, <laughs> all right, and uh, Miles, what do you got, sir? Um, I'm fairly confident that uh, everyone in the listening audience falls in this category, but just to hedge my bet, if you have not, get vaccinated. Yeah, I'm going for my booster uh, in a week. Yeah, we're eligible uh, after the 21st, I think. So Nice. Got mine last Monday. Nice. Yeah, Susan got hers about the same time, uh, but I'm. Uh, it was too early. I tried to get mine, but it was too early. But I did get the flu and pneumonia shots. So, and uh, Michelle, all right, we got a few seconds left. What do you got? Uh, quick, uh, don't feel intimidated. Go out and pick up a classic and read it. Uh, Dracula's a good one. There are many classics out there. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, uh, or, or Prometheus Unbound, I think it's called. Um, you just remember, there's classics out there, and, you know, pick up a real book sometimes. It feels good in your hands, and it's fun to do. Yeah, modern, <laughs> is it modern-day Prometheus? Modern-day Prometheus, that might be it, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, I think. Are you thinking of Frankenstein Unbound? Uh, <laughs> I was pro- I'm probably mixing the two of them. <laughs> I, I I would love to talk about Frankenstein Unbound. It's the Back to the Future of uh, Frankenstein. Yes. Movies. Yes. So, uh, oh, and speaking of Back to the Future, I'll be listing all three 
uh, very nice editions of the Back to the Future trilogy on VHS soon in our store, so look for that. <laughs> anyway, enough of my uh, whoring around here. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see everybody next Friday. Thanks so much. All right, there we go. We are off the air. Um, oh, man, I totally uh, uh, screwed up tonight. <laughs>